Welcome, everyone, to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. <laughs> oh, it changed a little bit there. Oh, did it? Yeah, it got a little twangier. Oh. Or something, I don't oh, yeah. know. I think the sitar is pretty twangy. What, what are the most twangy musical instruments? Why don't they use the sitar in country music? That's what I'm going to say. And it's like the sitar <laughs> and the fiddle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I they think, could nowadays. I think that, that would be a great name for a band. Sitar and fiddle? The sitar and the fiddle. That would be cool. And it's just a guy with An a Indian sitar. dude and a guy from West Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Who, who sings in that band? The, the, they both do. <laughs> <laughs> they harmonize. Yeah, man. One, one with a heavy... Indian British accent. I wish that I could do a singing British accent, but I don't think I can. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the British can either. When they sing, they sound American. No, oh, they definitely can. They, they, so that's a thing. Um, you know, that's a, a decision to sell more records. What? Uh, because, oh yeah, think about, um, think about who are the people who do that song, Cannonball. Or Wonderwall, no. Oasis? Yeah, what, what what song is it? Can't, oh, yeah, it is called Wonderwall. Um, yeah, yeah, like you can hear that guy's British accent when he sings. Yeah, and true. a lot of like more traditional English music, you can definitely hear their accent. Mm. It's that uh, I want to sell records in America shit uh, yeah, to, a lot to more. get rid of the accent. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. I was just talking about that with uh, with the wife's aunt the other day that um, – like he, there's this huge Mariah Carey concerts you know, like in in in, uh, in South Korea or whatever, yeah. and it's like they don't speak a lick of English, but they know every word. They sing every English word, and they're just enjoying it. It's crazy. The same thing with like Springsteen during the Cold War, and goes to Moscow, and like oh, all yeah. these Russian people just singing the yeah. uh, whatever, whatever Springsteen sings. Have you ever seen that footage of Metallica playing in Russia? No, it's fucking crazy, man. Tons and tons and tons of people. Um, that doesn't surprise me, man. It's insane. Uh, I watched this video. Uh, actually, I've seen these people a bunch. I recently watched them reacting to that band High Lung that I showed you. Yep. It's a bunch of, like, I would probably say they're probably Pakistani tribal people. Oh. It's inter- It was interesting watching them react to High Lung because they were like, I un- I understand some of this, you know what I mean. <laughs> Especially really? the throat singing. They were they were like, yeah, I know what that is. Oh shit! Uh, but they they reacted to Metallica playing "Harvester of Sorrow" in Russia, and one guy said that it was more of an expression of freedom than actual music. He was like, "That's not music," but they're obviously like, you know, they got something to say. So I thought that was pretty interesting. It is interesting. I, I imagine that the because it's such a hard place to live such a cold place to live that like metal has a place in those areas like i expect the russians are like you know metal heads, metal heads. yeah yeah, yeah um i don't know i don't know what the i'm sure they are it's a it's a modern nation russia they gotta love metal 
Gotta love metal. How do you not love metal? Good question. How do you not love metal? I, I do. It's just not my go-to. You know, I gotta be in the right mood. Didn't Metallica used to be your favorite band when you were a kid? I, absolutely. In fact, so. uh, when I was a freshman in high school, we had this stupid class. It was uh, kind of like an orientation. And I, but listen, I was a freshman in high school. I wasn't a freshman in college. Yeah. I didn't need to know, you know, like the the politics of school and how to how to get to the different buildings and like the history. I didn't need to know that. It's one I, was, I was I was fourteen years old for yeah. Christ's sake. Yeah. So we had this class, and uh, one of the things we all got to do was play a song that like our favorite song for the rest of the class oh, and yeah. everybody was forced to listen to it you know yeah and it, you know it was mostly like you know it was, it was whatever it was like 1999 it was like you know uh the backstreet boys most of the time uh but i brought in metallica and made everyone listen to it um any any guesses what song i, I picked um one that's a good guess Worse than that. Enter Sandman? <laughs> worse than that. But worse in a different direction. Unforgiven. Oh. So I picked like the least rock, rocking song. They start I, rocking out yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah. That's one of my that's one of my things with Metallica is I want my favorite Metallica is fucking rock Metallica. Like yeah. going at it. Yeah. Uh, and they have a lot of songs where they start out kind of soft and they eventually get to that. But I just don't have the patience. I just want you to start right away. I appreciate that more now when it when the song builds, you know. But there's something to be said about right off the bat. Give me fuel. Give me fire. Yeah. Give me that with Jonas. Yeah, yeah. That's the, I, I like when a song builds too. I love that, um, especially with like jam music because they're so much better at it. Um, you know, they just like build everything and then the fucking tension breaks and it's fucking amazing. It's amazing. Um, but for some reason, with Metallica specifically, I just want like fucking right out of the gate yeah, hardness. Yeah. You know, I'm that way with uh, with punk rock. Like I, um, what comes to my mind is Melancholin and a couple of Blink One Eighty Two songs that just um, as soon as it starts, you're into it th full throttle. You know, yeah. full uh, throttle, full throttle. <clears throat> so what's new, Kyle? What's going on, man? What is new? We got some weather going on here we in do. Ohio. It's we bullshit, do. man. Yep. Yeah, so Kyle texted me this morning. He says, are we still doing the podcast? And I'm like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Are we still doing the podcast? Of course we're doing the podcast. I didn't, I, I didn't realize there was like three inches of snow on the ground, and it's just pouring down snow, and it's going to be for all, all day, basically. Great. Yeah. I've, I, I hate winter. It's like my least favorite thing in the world. It's so beautiful, man. Eh, yeah, it's pretty, but it's not worth it, I don't think. <laughs> I really don't. I fucking hate it, man. Um, I did go to a park the other day, um, and it was all snowy, and I went actually later in the day, mm. uh, so it was like starting to get dark out, and I was walking pretty far back into the woods, uh, and it started to get dark, I was like, I gotta fucking turn around, <laughs> yeah. dude, I'm gonna be stuck back out here, it's gonna be pitch black, uh, and I was like, you know, I know that there's nothing out in the woods, you know what I mean? But I'm still like, you know, like looking over my shoulder every few feet. Yeah, that's instincts, buddy. Yeah, man. Um, Scary. So, so it is snowing really hard. And and for, for those of you who don't know, um, the, the place, my house here where we do the podcast, is it's really close to Lake Erie. It's, uh, I can probably throw a football into Lake yeah, Erie. Yeah, you, could throw, right you could throw a football. And it's snowing, and it's snowing pretty bad. And in the winter here, you know, in this part of the world, it's, it's very gray and bleak. Especially when it's snowing, you can't tell the you can't tell the difference between the clouds and the sky. It's all gray and dreary. But here's the thing: we're here next to the lake, so there's all these seagulls, right? 
And I'm not from here, so I didn't realize that seagulls hung out in the cold weather. I thought they were like in Myrtle Beach, and when it got cold, they went to Florida. You know what I mean? Not these gulls. No, man. These gulls, these gulls are, they stick around. But when, gulls. Whenever it snows like this, and we have a lot of those, like, I don't know, differences in air temperature where it's easy for them to fly. I don't know. I'm not a fucking naturalist, man. I don't know what or the reason. But I'm sitting here looking out my window this morning, and it's totally gray. Um, like I said, you can't tell the difference between the clouds and the sky. You can't really see the lake even because it all kind of blends together in this gray whiteness. And there's seagulls flying. And <coughs> the seagulls are white, man. And yeah, there they are. are a ton of them. So what happens is they just appear out of the mist. You know, it's just like one, two, twelve. You know, you can't see them until they're right there. And there's so many of them. Whenever it snows, they just circle around, you know, on those currents and they just pop in and out of the uh, like in and out of the clouds, and it's like so freaking cool. I'm, cool. Si- I'm sitting there watching them for like 15 minutes, and my wife comes up to me and she's like, "You look like a golden retriever, <laughs> <laughs> just just sitting at the window looking out." That's funny. That is funny uh, as hell, boy. Um, yeah, that makes me think of you know like Vikings and shit. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just imagine you're you're sailing on your long ship and you don't know you know you got caught in some storm. You don't know where the fuck land is. Oh, you're God. completely disoriented, despite the fact that they're the best you know seafarers in the world at that point in time. Yep. Still, you get lost. You know, um, and I think, I think when the these people found Greenland and you know you know the people who went down into the American continents for the first time like a long long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember hearing something about them identifying seagulls, you know, them seeing seagulls, and that's how they know, like, uh, oh, shit, we're finally we're close. near land. Yeah. yeah, It's crazy, man. You ever watch that um, documentary? I think it's History Channel. It's a, it's about the Kensington Runestone. You need to look it up. You, okay. you would love it, especially given your interest in the Viking stuff now, <laughs> um, because it's it basically talks about a bunch of evidence. Some of it is sketchy, but a bunch of evidence about the Vikings in, in the New World way before Columbus. So we all know about Vinland and there's like, you know, the uh, leftover foundations of the settlements and they can tell the style was not Native American. It was clearly a Viking style. There's, there's reason. And, and there's more than that. There's metal and things that the Indians didn't have. So they know they were, they were there, mm-hmm. but there's evidence that they were in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. There's evidence that they were even further South down into the plains. And there's these rune stones that have been found. And like, I want to say maybe a Viking sword. There's some really cool shit. And uh, it, like I said, it's not all scientifically proven. Some of it's sketchy. It could be a hoax. But it's, it's fucking good, man. The Kensington cool. Runestone. Look that shit up. All right. Uh, oh, you were talking about um, taking a walk in the park and it getting dark and turning around. Yep. I got a little story for you. So in my, my former life, um, my, uh, my ex-wife had, had an aunt with a bunch of kids. Uh, that reminds me of a, a thing I saw on Twitter this morning to take a tangent. It was a lady standing in line with all of her kids from tallest to shortest, and she had a, ten kids, right? And the tenth was in, the tenth was in her belly, and okay. she had a little number ten. She was holding up in front of her belly, and uh, the caption on the video was, uh, "This guy couldn't pull out of a driveway." That, that's pretty good. <laughs> so, so this is sort of the situation with uh, my ex-wife's aunt, a bunch of kids, and. Um, the aunt and grandma took the kids to Old Man's Cave. So for those people who aren't from Ohio and don't know, uh, there's a place called Hocking Hills here. Very, very beautiful. It's like foot hilly. It's not mountains, but it's really hilly, foot hilly. Um, and it's rural, and it's covered in gorgeous trees. And uh, what's cool about it is there's a bunch of rocky outcroppings that aren't really 
typical of Ohio. And uh, you, you would think you were in like Pennsylvania or West Virginia or something like that. And there's all sorts of legends about um, like, you know, bandits that used to hide out in there and Indians used to, used to hide out. And there's all these caves and stuff. It's very cool. And uh, waterfalls and shit too. In the winter, they all freeze, and it's so cool, man. Anyway. It's been a long time since I've been there. Yeah, me too. Well, in the summer, uh, this lady and, and her mom, so old grandma, and all these kids, they go take a hike through Old Man's Cave. And there's a trail um, that goes from one waterfall to another, and it's like a five-mile trail. And they got like six kids with them. And they decide they're going to do this, and it was late in the day. And oh. exactly that situation happened. They get... They get almost to the other waterfall, and they decide, oh, shit, we don't really know how long, much longer this is going to take, and the sun is going down, and we parked way the fuck back over there. Like, if they were smart, they would have just kind of went to the next waterfall, because there's a parking lot there. They could have just gone up and called for help. Yeah. They turned around oh. and walked like four and a half miles back in the dark, and it got so dark. Guys, we live in the modern world. There's lights everywhere. We don't know what happens in the, in, in the night in the woods when there's no lights around. It is fucking dark. Yep. So they're walking along like this. It's not like a path, man. It's not like a paved trail. It's like you're stepping over branches. You're, you know, you're walking along the side of the creek. And it gets so dark, they can't see where they're going. Oh, and they fuck. have young kids with them. And it's super dangerous. Yeah. And it's starting to get cold. And uh, what they end up doing is the boy, the one boy that was with them, took his t-shirt off and they like caught it on fire somehow and they were trying to use it as a torch to get to get back and uh, they eventually get back to the road and they're walking around and uh, one of the uh, one of the what do they call the people that patrol the parks the rangers yeah Yeah. one of the rangers picks them up and takes them to their car but if it wasn't for that ranger (laughs) happened to see them they would have been spending the night in the woods and and the, the, the the teenage boy had no shirt that's fucking crazy yeah so that happened that's a uh, terrible planning. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make I want I want to make a sexist joke there, but I feel like it's inappropriate. Well, you just did, so mm. you can read between the lines. Um, yeah. So I don't know. At least I was cognizant of that. I wasn't that far in the woods either. I was far enough that I was like, okay, I got to turn around now. But um, I would have been fine. But I, I, I was nervous. I was like, I got to get out of here, man. If it was 200 years ago, those woods would have had wolves in them. They would have had, oh, yeah. uh, had, like, big bobcats in them. I don't know if a bobcat can take down a man, but... You, I wouldn't want to find out. You wouldn't want to <laughs> tangle with him. Yeah. You, you, ever, you ever have, like a, like, a cat, like, a house cat who, like, likes to rough play like a dog? I don't like... I mean, cats scare me a lot. I mean, I like cats. I'm not, like, a, a cat hater. I love cats, but... Um, the thought of a ca- house cat being mad at you is fucking scary, man. Dude, I, I there was like a kitten that I, I can't even remember when or what the context, but there was a kitten that I played with one time that was really aggressive, like a dog. It would like you know bite at you and grab a hold of you and like wrestle with your arm, mm-hmm. and uh, it, that, it did that to me, man. And it it sunk all four claws into my arm, mm-hmm. and there was no getting it off, and it yeah. hurt. Yeah. And you want to get it off? There, nope, that cat's got you, dude. It's and then in. it starts biting my fingers. And you know, I was playing with it like a little bit like that, but it, it, it took it too far, man. And how do you tell a cat enough's enough, man? Yeah, that's, that's a weird thing. Like, you think about a dog that is the size of a cat. Like, you got a couple of them, you know? Yeah. That thing is not scary at all. Nope. I would, I mean, if it was like visibly angry at me, I, I mean, even if it charged an attack, you just kick it and it's done, you mm. know? It's not <laughs> how it is for a cat. 
Um, you know, they're just much more agile and fast and dangerous. Uh, now, that being said, I do have a giant Rottweiler, and he's a big sweetheart. He's not violent at all, but it would be scary if he was mad at oh, you. Oh, God. Would you rather take... Well, you think your chances are better tangling with... I want to say a wolf the size of your dog, but let's just say your dog. Yeah. Versus a cat half that size. I would rather... In that scenario, I would rather go with the cat. Like, you I think? mean, it, I would get fucked up, but Pat, I think Patton could kill me if Oh, easy. Easy yeah. peasy. Whereas I don't think a cat could kill me. I think a cat could, like, scratch me up and hurt me pretty bad. I don't think it could kill me, though. Patton could kill me, mm. 100%. Um, if, me, if it was, like, me and Patton in a fight to the death... I might win. I mean, you know, I'm not ruling it out completely, but he could definitely win too, I think. Mm. Scary. He, oh, he could win. You know those, the, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen like a, like a jaguar or a leopard or a lion or whatever. Uh, when they attack, they do exactly what that cat did to me. They grab a hold with their, with their front paws yeah. and they bite the jugular. Usually they'll bite, they'll hold on with their, with their claws and their teeth. Then they use their bottom legs. They bring them up. Just into the tender side of your underbelly, and they rip just rip out. your guts out. It's fucked up. Jesus, man. man. Brutal. It's a brutal world. Brutal. Cool, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, man. So what do we got today? Well, I got a, I got a story I'll, I'll open with. Because right. I'm super proud of this, but also, I don't, know if I, I don't know if I should be. Well, I'll tell you what I mean. So my older daughter, she's five. And she likes what five-year-old girls like. She likes LOL dolls and My Little Pony cartoons and, uh, you know, Spidey and his amazing friends. She just, likes, uh, she just likes little girl stuff. She likes to dress up in Disney dresses and, like, superheroes and stuff. And, uh, you know, I just never expected, because I, I didn't have any boys, man. I never expected to be able to share certain parts of my personality with, with my daughters. And I always hoped to. I always hoped I'd have a boy. It's funny, man. Like maybe that's maybe that's why some fathers are so disappointed in their sons because they they hope so much that they're going to be like them, and they it just you, it's a roll of the dice. Yep. Like the chances are going to be like you are slim, dude. And so uh, so maybe I would have been disappointed had I had a son. Point is, the other day she's watching ancient Egypt documentaries, right? One after the other yeah. after the other, and I'm like, you know, what are you watching? She's just like, you know, I wouldn't believe it, Dad. This is 3,000 years old. That's awesome. And uh, they're adult documentaries. She's not watching, like, Ancient Egypt for kids. She's watching, you know, documentaries, right? And she loves it. She lo- she First, it was like f- learning that there were female pharaohs, like Hapshepsut. I can't say, uh, you know, I'm yeah. trying to pronounce Egyptian names. And um, and uh, Cleopatra and Nefertiti. But there was, I mean, Nefertiti wasn't a pharaoh, but... Uh, Hatshepsu was, and there was another one too, and Cleopatra was. Um, anyway, she learned that there were girl pharaohs, and she thought that was cool. And then she starts seeing mummies, and she thought that was cool. And then she starts seeing all these ancient buildings with the colorful paintings. She doesn't understand it, and she's not asking me questions, which you know I, I kind of wish she would. But she's just eating it up, mm-hmm. and I, and she's sitting there with her headphones on, and watching this on her tablet, and. She's entertained. She, you couldn't, you could wave your hand in front of her face, and she was sucked into it the same way she would be if she was watching like a, like a cartoon that was really interesting to her. But it's not a cartoon. This is real shit. Yeah. And I'm super proud of her because when I was that age, I loved that same shit. Yeah. I, you know, I wanted to like dig up dinosaurs and find arrowheads, and ancient Egypt was awesome, yeah. and you know, pyramids and sphinxes, and like it was just it, it revealed this interest that I would always have to this day. 
it just it revealed it to me when I was that age, and I can see it with her. And because she's a girl, I didn't expect it, you know? So maybe maybe I am sexist, but <coughs> I didn't expect it. Um, but, so, but I'm super proud of her. I feel like she's, I feel like she shares this with me. Now it makes me feel closer to her. And, uh, and, and the fact that she has the appetite for it and the attention for it just surprised me. Uh, anyway, so she's watching this one. Uh, there's an episode uh, on, um, I think it's on Hulu. It's a show called Sacred Places or Sacred Sites. And one of the episodes was on Egypt. So I put it on for her and she was watching it and then it was bedtime and she didn't get to finish it. So in the morning, she immediately wanted to finish it. That's so cool, man. She's sitting next to me. I'm watching the news. She's sitting next to me with her headphones on watching it. And, I, you know, I didn't think anything of it. And after about 10 or 15 minutes, she looks up at me and she says, Dad, these people ate their enemies. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, and then I look down and I realize she's on the next episode. And, they're, and it's about the Aztecs. Okay. And they're talking about human sacrifice. That is hilarious. And she didn't have, and, I, and then I thought, oh God, now, now, now I'm a bad parent for sure. I'm letting my five-year-old daughter learn about human sacrifice. She's not, she wasn't scared about it. Yeah. She didn't have questions about it. She just, <laughs> she, just, she just thought it was interesting. She, she knew it was a long time ago. Yeah. And she's like, Ted, these people ate their enemies. And then she starts telling me, like, in her, in the best way she can understand it, she's like, yeah, they they opened them up and they took things from them and ate them. Like, they were eating hearts out of, they were out of human sacri- sacrificial victims. So anyway, she thought that was equally interesting. Yeah. And then it took her, like, about another 10 minutes to realize that the Aztecs weren't the Egyptians. Okay. And then she's like, Dad, these aren't the Egyptians. Give me, a, give me another <laughs> documentary so about the Egyptians. That is great. Oh, boy. She really got it for the Egyptians. You know, but it's like that, man. It's like that. It's like your uh, your um, attention will get will get sucked in on yeah. one thing in particular. And you like me with Jordan Peterson a couple years ago. It's like you just want to suck it all up like a vacuum, and you can't get enough of it. And then one day you you've had enough, and then you move on. Yep. Right now, she's still vacuuming it up, man. How crazy is it that Jordan Peterson like get, came into popularity with enough of a back catalog for you to be able to suck it all up? You know what I mean? Yeah. He had so much content that he had put out before he got popular, that it's like just this just wealth of Jordan Peterson content. How could I have not heard of Jordan Peterson with my interests? How could I have not heard of him? Yeah. And you're right, man. world, man. He had dozens, if not hundreds, of YouTube videos, oh, mo- yeah. most of which I still haven't haven't watched. Yeah. But then he had like whole seasons of the podcast and, and multiple books. I'm pretty sure you've, all the stuff that's on YouTube, you've probably heard in audio form. Yeah. Because I think uh, a big period of that like... I don't know, couple year period where he wasn't doing anything. That's what they were releasing a lot of that shit on audio. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, and I didn't hear about him until he was on Joe Rogan. Goddamn Joe Rogan. Speaking of Joe Rogan, man, there's he's had a lot of interesting guests on in the last quarter. It's, I remember how like when he left um, and went to Spotify, and I was t- I, you and I had these conversations where I was saying things like. You know, Joe, he seems to be saying things that he didn't say when he was in California. My impression was that he was being careful, and I thought he I thought he was kind of like going more liberal than, than he, he had. Like he was intentionally not talking about things or avoiding things. I thought it was like all on purpose. I was getting a little bit, um, what's the word, 
I was getting disappointed in him actually. I thought maybe he sold out a little bit, mm-hmm. but then when he when then when he when he went to Spotify, I was like, we had a, we had conversations on the podcast. I'm like, he's saying stuff about California. How after now that he's moved out, how how much of a shithole it was. Not that he didn't before, but he was really giving it to him, talking about how the how the government was so terrible. He never said that kind of shit before. So now he had like the two different doctors on to talk about COVID, where they were just completely blasting the narrative, and he got all kinds of shit for it. Mm-hmm. Then he had, then he had to blast CNN because CNN was the one that was yeah. that was going after him, yeah. trying to get him deplatformed. And um, then he had then he had a guy on named James Lindsay who he he had on once before, but this last episode with James Lindsay was fucking mind blowing. Really, mind blowing. I you like should, James Lindsay a lot. Yeah. He, he works with Thaddeus Russell. Oh, does he? Quite a bit. Yeah. Ah, right. Yeah. And then he, then this guy, this Epstein guy that he's got on now is a, like a he's, I think he might be a psychologist, but he's a tech guy, he's super smart, super techy, um, talking about all the shit that uh, uh, that the big tech companies have done, um, how they've transformed the internet and our experience, how they manipulate us and steal yeah. our data and make tons of money on it, and all this stuff that people just don't think about. Mm-hmm. It's like, why does Google offer you all these free services? Do you think? Yeah. Why is everything free? Do you think? You know, I'm. I guess just kind of pessimistic about that because I understand that that's what they're doing. I just don't see the majority of people caring, to be honest with you. It's sad. But you might care. Like, he, he talked about, a, you know how, like, lately Joe's been talking about DuckDuckGo a bunch? I, yeah, I use DuckDuckGo all the time. That's um, the search or the uh, browser I use. Yep. And they talk about all the different browsers in some detail. Uh, but he says, you know, if I go to Google and I search something and I go to DuckDuckGo and I search the same thing, the results are completely different. Mm-hmm. And what's the deal? Well, he, he was like, you know, you, you don't want to use DuckDuckGo either. He's like, you want, you want to use Brave. Yeah. Have you heard of Brave? I have heard of Brave. So I downloaded... It's just too much to change again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I downloaded Brave, and I used it for the first time today. Um, he said, look, the guy that founded Firefox, uh, after Firefox got co-opted by, co-opted by Google, he left and started Brave. And he did exactly what he was intending to do with Firefox. He made a browser that blocks tracking and ads, you know, completely. And uh, if you use Brave, you'll notice that websites run faster. Everything is faster on Brave. Why is that? Because all that shit they're feeding you gets blocked. So I, I experimented with it. I went to a website that I know has lots of uh, ad, ad revenue stuff built in. And it was a news website. I went to it, and it was all those ad places were blacked out. Nice. And, it, and it loaded quickly, and everything was lightning fast. Awesome. So I'll I'll, I'll, I'll download Brave. So if there's if there's a reason to use it, and that's the fucking reason, you guys should download Brave, man. I try to use a lot of that more alt stuff. Like, um, you know, if there's just some sometimes when you can't, like, um, you know, basic like basically if uh, if I'm googling a place to get their phone number so that I can call them. I'll use Google for that because Google, they're just like developed better. Yeah, you they, know, are. They, they are. Uh, yeah. They've got that kind of shit down. But pretty much everything else, I'll use DuckDuckGo, but <laughs> I'll switch over to Brave. Fuck it. Well, that Epstein guy explained um, that why Google's so much better at it. He said Google pings. They, they See, I'm, I'm not techie enough to know what all this <laughs> stuff means, but he said Google crawls. Not all, not all browsers crawl. Apparently, crawl means you're pinging all these websites a whole bunch of times a day and, and pulling all the new data or whatever, updating everything. Um, so you're basically going out and exploring the entire internet for things. That's what Google does, and they're really good at it. Other, other websites just use Google's results. So that's what Yahoo does. That's what Firefox does, uh, th- things like that. Um, and Brave does cr- crawling, but they don't do it as good as Google. So, you know, there's a gap there. Yeah. 
Uh, but I learned a bunch of shit. And now that episode's not even done. Nice. That's the Epstein? Yeah. Robert Epstein? Yeah. All right. Whatever his name is. Uh, whatever his name is. Yeah, I will check that out. That sounds good. I, I mean, Rogan's just been so not hit or miss. It's been miss uh, a lot of the time for me lately. But uh, it, it, I have heard some good things about his recent episodes, so... I'm pretty careful about which ones I listen to nowadays. Um, I don't listen to them all anymore. We listen to like the opposite ones. Like I want all I want to listen to is like him with Ari Shafir and Shane Gillis yeah. and uh, Mark yeah. Norman. Like that's you know that type of. I, I skipped that one, uh, um, dude. Anything with Shane Gillis on it, oh, I listen to. Oh, it. I love Shane Gillis. Yeah. No, I, I I was very close to it, but anytime there's a doctor or a professor on, oh, I'm like, shit. that's the one for me. Yeah, yeah. I've just been so out of it, man. Like I, uh, you know. I just feel like a, like a like a little baby. I just don't have any of this uh, government information anymore about what they're doing. I, you know, th- things. Are you, are, you, are you happier that way? No, I don't <laughs> think so. Uh, but I had to, man. I've talked. I think I don't know if we talked about it on here before, but I just have nothing but hate in my heart for these people, and like, uh, and I I mean that. <laughs> like, I'm that. That's not like a, a little idiom. Like, who are these people? Um. Uh. So I mean, if we're talking about public figures, Fauci, you know these oh, people, yeah. um, and the people who support him too, like <laughs> the normal people who support him. I saw another meme about Fauci. I, I, another meme this morning, but this one was about Fauci, and it said, the top line said, "Follow the science," uh-huh. and, the, and the bottom line said. Directly to my bank account. It is a picture of Fauci. <laughs> <a good> <laughs> um, yeah, but it, I mean, it's not just Fauci, but I just picked him because he's kind of like, I don't know, a figurehead for it. But I mean, it's it's every it's it's Bill Gates. It's um, Gavin Newsom. Mm. It's this entire covid establishment that is just a growth out of the the government establishment. You know, yep. I just fucking hate them, man. And I feel like I need to get out of it um, because... I just have a lot of animosity in me towards them, just to be perfectly honest. So I, I, I was thinking not long ago, like if things got really bad here, where could I go? And I've never, I never imagined that I would have to think that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a couple years, uh, a couple years ago, I had this guy doing work on the house. Uh, he was from uh, Romania, I believe he was, and he lived in the. He lived. He was an older guy. Uh, he lived in a communist country most of his life. He came to the U.S. He became a citizen. He started his own business, became successful. So he loves America, like like Americans mostly don't. Like Americans used to. Yeah. He loves America. You know, he believes it's the it's the land of the free and the home of the brave. The place where he had opportunity. The place where the government stays the fuck out of your business and lets you live your life. And. Uh, and I remember him saying that if Biden won the election, that he he would have to consider seriously consider moving. And he was like tears in his eyes. I'm not kidding you. He legitimately he legitimately believed that the the trauma and the terror and the catastrophe of communism from where he came from was was trailing from the toilet paper hanging out of, hanging out of Biden's pants. Like he believed it was coming, and uh, maybe he's not wrong, especially given everything that we've seen over over COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, the point is, I started thinking the same question when he said it. I'm like, well, that might be a little bit, you know, a little bit over the top there. But um, but after COVID, I was like, where can we go where we can where we can actually be free of of that level of oppression where you know. 
where I have to be worried that there might be a soldier or a policeman that comes to my door and puts a needle in my arm at the point of a gun. Did you come to a conclusion? I mean, no. Yeah. I, thought, I thought there's nowhere in the world that's safe unless I go someplace so rural and so far away from any government authority like the jungle, you know. Um, I don't know, man. There are better places to be than others. Um, I There's a huge part of me that really wants to go to New Hampshire um, just because there's a lot of like-minded people and you build your own little, you know, like ecosystem there, you know? It's like I don't have to worry about people who won't hire me uh, because I don't have the vaccine because there's a ton of business owners who are not going to care. You know what I mean? Well, you, you say that. You say that, but... The movement, the federalism, the movement for, you know, for instance, voting rights, that's about the federal government controlling elections. Yeah. The, I mean, Jesus fucking Christ, Kyle. What they want to do is diminish states' rights mm-hmm. because the federal government doesn't believe that that's, that that's correct. That they think the correct way is for the federal government to control the 50 states. That is not the way it's meant to be. And if that happens, being in New Hampshire won't matter, man. I think it will. I think, uh, I think... There are places in the country that are not going to put up with that, and I think things will come to a head in those places more quickly. And that's where I want to be. I mean... Well, if that happens, man, you might be one of the guys on the train headed to the camp. You know what I mean? So what? I mean, what, I mean so I'm supposed... I mean, I don't know, I'm supposed to, like, live... I, I don't know, man. No, I, I, I'm fine. I'm, You're fine with the camps? No, I won't go to the camps. Yeah. I won't get that far. I won't go to the camps either, man. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I, I hate to be too conspiratorial, but the stuff about the federal government like p- pushing to have more influence on the elections and pushing to have more influence over state schools, and that's not a new thing. That's been happening for a long time, but now they're talking about controlling the curriculum. And that we, we heard about that years ago with Common Core. And mm-hmm. parents were like, this math is bullshit. Yeah. You know, it, it's, so, it's so hard. It's so stupid. And the federal government says, if you want my money, you're going to teach your kids stupid math. And, and, and everybody's fucking bowed to it. And, yeah. we, and we act like that's a small thing. But the next thing you know, they're, they're telling us what, what you're hearing now, where the, where the school boards and the teachers are saying, the parents have absolutely no input on the curriculum. What? Yeah. Bitch, are you kidding me? These are my kids, and the tax money's paying your salary to teach my kids what. You get me heated, man. I got, dude. I get Bitch, it. <laughs> I will. Ooh, I know. You start talking about kids, man. If you have kids, oh my god. I, don't don't even get me started, man. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I, I mean, if I, I think that people should homeschool. I think that anybody who can afford to, anybody who it's even remotely possible. I think you should do that. The best evidence for that is to point to the level of education that I always go back to Victorian England and people will say, well, you had to be rich for this. And maybe that's true. But go back to Victorian England and and pick a random person off the street who went to school and they had a private tutor. They could play the violin. Yeah. They could speak four languages. They they they've already read Shakespeare. They've already read you know the Iliad and the Odyssey. They can speak Greek. They fucking you know they know shit that we could not imagine. Oh yeah. You know, on top of that, they all they don't get me started, man. You know what though? Like you talk about um, the 
the rich people who were able to get that kind of an education. Well, the poor people got an education too. It was a different kind of education. Um, they learned how to actually do things back then, true, you know? True, Um And, you know, I know that it's not, you know, having kids working is not ideal, but we don't have to be there anymore. That's not, we haven't existed, at, well, here in America, we haven't existed there for a very long time. Um, I don't know how much kid labor is going on in the rest of the world, aside from, like, sex trafficking. I know, oh, God. sadly, a bunch of that goes on. But, um, yeah, I don't know, I just... So you were talking about the poor people being educated differently, and it made me think a different thought, but along the same lines. Okay, so, you know, like the United States is super low in the, uh, well, in, in the world standards of education, we're like right in the middle. But if you look at things like math and science, we're fucking so low. It's ridiculous. Math is so important. But you could take a very poor person from Victorian England, like let's say a tailor, let's say a mason. Those motherfuckers could do math Way better than oh, me. Yeah. Way better than me. They didn't have computers. <laughs> you know, they didn't have the, the pr- progress of science that we do, but they can measure. They knew about angles. They knew, they knew about geometry. Hell yeah. You know? That's, and that's like stuff that I'm terrible at. I work too. in a, an industry where a lot of the people who work in it can like measure things and cut things. And, <laughs> and not, like I can, um, but not as quickly as they can. I have to like, recheck myself like yeah. nine times otherwise I'm going to cut this thing too short yeah. and Me- the entire thing's fucked you Me- know measure twice cut once uh, for me it's more like measure 18 times yeah cut once and you still fucked it up somehow so. me too man I, dude I've I put I put like the uh, baseboards in um, when I was redoing uh, Jessica's aunt's bathroom and when I was redoing my little bathroom in the, uh, my old house in the basement and I'm telling you, man, you have to cut angles for corners. Yeah, man. I can't tell you how many times I looked at the angles, I went to the saw, I cut it, and I came back, and it was it's fucking right. exactly wrong. Yeah. Perfectly wrong, Chris. That's never going to work. <laughs> I don't get I, it, I, I wasted so much material yeah. cutting wrong angles. Yep. And that's like a... I guess that's just something that if you do a lot, like, you'd get better at it, but... Um, I'm sure. I bet you if you, like, did a brain scan... Of like somebody like a like a mason or like a you know a construction worker. If you did a brain scan of somebody like that, just looking at that sort of a problem, there would be parts of their brain that were lit up like the surface of the sun. And if you did the brain scan on me in the same situation, it would just be black. Like I don't have that. But if you practice it, I'm sure you could develop it. You know. Yep. But that shit is not. Those cogs are not turning in my head, man. Yep, I'm with you. And I that know. and shame on shame on you, public schools. It was Columbus Public Schools that did that to me, man. Fucked me up with math in particular real bad. Yeah. Not good. Terrible. Just, they didn't care, man. Just leave you behind. And, they, I'm, and I'm smart as a whip. I'm smart as a whip, man. I, yeah, I know. That's a failure of the school, not, not of I me, man. I completely agree with you. I think, uh, you know, I used to go to those school systems, and then I went to a private school, private Christian schools. The first one that I went to was basically just like a fucking public school. Was it? Uh, I mean... Yeah, it was a public school where you had Jesus classes, you know. Um, then I went to another one, uh, and it was better, I would say. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I still didn't do well. I just never did well through school. But then uh, after that, I went to a public school down there for, like, half of a year. And it was, like, noticeably worse than the the first private oh, Christian, yeah. or, uh, no I'm sorry the second private Christian school yep. uh, I would say 
pretty similar. Like I said, that that first Christian school that I went to was basically just like a public school. Uh, so I would say it was pretty similar, but the kids were older, so more mm. testosterone, oh, fights, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. things like that. Um, but then I went to, I moved up here, and I, you know, I live in a nice suburb up here. Yeah. Schools were still not, I mean, if you were any kind of, uh, like, trouble kid, you just got, you know, you just slipped through the cracks, mm. you know. Um, and I wouldn't even say that I was trouble. I just didn't, like, pay attention, you know what I mean? Uh, my mind was always like doing a million other things that had nothing to do with what the teacher was talking about. Um, but yeah, I just watched, you know, like, so I consider myself pretty intelligent too. I you did are. not do any, I did terrible my entire school career. So I want to, I want to talk about how the ancient Greeks educated their boys because there's a, I think it might relate to this, but before I do, I want to ask you, you got to be careful with you, how those ancient Greeks treated boys. <laughs> I mean, you know, have you diagnosed in retrospect why you didn't care, why you couldn't bring yourself to care or try? Um, I don't know. It's hard to. I did have this this thought the other day, like, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago. Um, I remember being in high school and teachers being, like, irritated with me, mm. like, pissed off at me that I wasn't paying attention to them. It's like, why the fuck should I pay attention to you? Like, I, I mean, what about you is special? Uh, like, you're not inspiring. You're not telling me anything that I care about. Um, just like the fact that they felt like I was owed their attention. Uh, just, I, I don't. You know. I, I get you. I get you. I think that goes back to you you being a little bit more um, of a, of a independent free thinker than me. Like, you way when I was growing up, I was way more obedient than you, and you were way, way more likely to like say what you just said. I wouldn't even have thought of that. I was I was in school, so I was expected to pay attention, and that's what I was going to do. And I never even thought, you know, this lady's boring. Go go ahead and drift off. I was like, this is what you're here to do. Pay attention, yeah. and I didn't let myself. You know. Yeah, I wish that, I wish that I would have been more like that on some level. Did you ever have any teacher or anything that that you were doing to, like topic wise? That did inspire you, or do you remember ever like feeling motivated to try and why? <laughs> I remember it's weird, man. I remember being interested in things, but still being like, I'm not gonna do this anymore. <laughs> you know, like I'll listen while you're talking about it, um, and I'm, I might read this thing, but I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna like answer these questions or. And mostly, I, you know, I didn't even think of it like consciously like that. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'm going to, I'll, I, but again, I'm not even thinking I'm going to listen. I'm just listening, you know? Uh, and then when the homework comes, it's like, I literally don't even think about doing it. It's like, I don't need, I don't think I, uh, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. I don't even like, don't even consider doing it. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. my, that's how it was my entire school career. Wow. I don't know, man. It's interesting because, like, it's not like my parents. Ne my parents never ever checked that I, that I did my homework. They certainly never checked my homework. Yeah. But I still did it yeah. most of the time. You know, that's interesting. But personality difference between you and I. Um, what was I going to ask you? Oh, you remember when we went and saw uh, Philip Zombardo um, yeah. at Columbus State? He was giving the speech. The guy that did the prison experiments, psychological experiments. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that being interesting to you? Oh or, yeah. Or were you bored? Oh no, I, I thought that was interesting as hell. Um, I just, I have 
like such little respect for teachers. I mean, honestly, like like I said, they expect you to be interested in the like stupid, boring shit that they're talking yeah. about. And if you're not, they get like mad at you, and you can get in trouble for it. Be fucking interesting. Yeah. Do so. Do you know? Yeah, they they should do a better job of explaining to you why exactly this is valuable. Yeah, it's like a lot of the stuff that I was bored out of my fucking mind sitting through in high school. I think is interesting and cool as hell now. Um, but because I contextualize it in a way for myself, it's like, oh, I understand why that's interesting and worth knowing. See, I, I always struggle with math, you know, always. And it's because it started when I was a kid in Columbus Public Schools when nobody gave a shit. And it lasted all the way through college. And I remember taking, like, one of the last math classes I took in college. And uh, the guy, the teacher, Mr. shout out to Mr. Dorsey, um, he it was an awesome teacher. And um, he wasn't going to let me skate by like I could basically do in most, most classes. Um, and, uh, I remember he was teaching like advanced algebra and trigonometry and he would say stuff like the transitive property of, of whatever, like what, what is that? What is that? He didn't ever explain to me what it, how did we figure out there was a transitive property and what does it mean and what is it used for? Mm. You know, he never told me that, but he did hold me to account. So I actually did rise to the occasion and I passed that class, but I would have loved to know what the fuck is a transitive property? How did we find out there was such a thing? How did we how did we invent mathematics? Make it interesting to me. That's what I want to know. Where did this come from? What were the problems we were trying to solve that got us to learn this shit? Yeah. You know, like people say stuff like Newton and Le Leibniz invented calculus. What, that what does that even mean? Yeah. Like math already exists. What is calculus? How is it different? What problems were they trying to solve? What kind of like crazy experiments were they doing to come up with this stuff that we call calculus? How did they prove that this made up math was, is valid? That's interesting to me. Yeah, Nobody sure. ever taught me that. Nobody ever said a word. But Mr. Dorsey at least got me to, at least got me to go through the motions, mm -hmm. you know, to solve a linear equation, to solve a quadratic equation, all that kind of shit. Like, um, you know, factoring and all that stuff. Like, I, I kind of remember that stuff. And I, I would remember it better if I knew why and what it was for. And uh, also, that's a, such a big gap in my knowledge when I, like, get into physics, and I love that stuff. I'm like, this is so interesting, oh, yeah. but I, I, I have such a gap because nobody ever told me why it was important to, to learn math, and so I, n none of it stuck, man. And now I'm lost. Tr imagine trying to start back at, like, high school algebra and get up to the point where you can understand quantum physics. Good luck, dude. Yeah. That's where I am, yeah. and I wish I could, man. I love that stuff. Have you made an honest effort? Like not like, since college? No, yeah. no. I mean, it's hard to. There's so much other. I don't shit even know where to begin. On. And if I picked up a college textbook, the the, the stuff that I want to know that we just I just laid out for you, oh, yeah, it's, not not in in the, it's not in there. It's not in there. That's true. Um, that's a good point. I think looking back on my high school, the teachers who got the best results from me were like football coaches. Mm. Um, and like pretty much to a T, every single teacher that I liked was a football coach, with the exception of like two. Yeah. Um, and those two, one of them was my American government teacher, uh, and he's the guy who like is responsible for me having been a person who's interested in the news. But I mean, I did not care about the news at all before I took that class. Never watched it. Mm. Never gave a fuck about it at all. And every day. Uh, you know, Monday through Friday, we would start the class off talking about two current events, and that just that got its hooks into That's me. That's what it was. Yep. Did you guys like ha have a debate about it? Like, t 
not a debate, but we would just kind of like talk about it, and you know, pe- the kids would, would ask questions, and-, and he would let the kids say their opinions too. It wasn't like he was like preaching at you, and, and like he would let the kids disagree. I again, I wouldn't really call it a debate. Um, Could you tell his political persuasion by the conversations? I bet if I. In retrospect, maybe? I bet I probably could. Back then, I didn't, though. Um, although he was, from what I do remember, he wasn't, like I said, really giving his opinion. He was kind of just facilitating discussion between the students. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I had a teacher like that. Shout out to Mr. Skiles, who uh, he was liberal, super, super liberal. And I didn't know that at the time because I, I didn't know. But um, but he was like that. He was he was kind of a hard ass, and he was cool. And you kind of... He kind of liked him because he was a hard ass. It's part of his personality. Um, and the cool thing about Mr. Skiles is uh, two, of the, two of the female teachers at the school, he had been married to previously. So he, <laughs> so, right. so Mr. Skiles worked in a building with his wife and ex-wife. Wow. What? And all the kids knew about it, too. We're like... <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, boy. Mr. Skiles. Um, so another teacher that I had, who was a, he was a football coach. He was the head football coach. I didn't play football. Um, I was in a work study program and he was the teacher of that. So, I mean, it's not like he's teaching every day. It's not like we're getting homework or anything like that. It's basically a class for fuck ups who want to get out of school early and go to work. Yeah. Um, but I was much more well behaved, not, um, and I was never like a bad kid, like starting fights, really being a dick to teachers, but I was just always like cracking jokes, you know, talking, not paying attention. Um, and he, I don't know, man, something about him, just like, he didn't treat us like like little kids, you know, mm-hmm. uh, something about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know what it was, honestly, but he was great. He was like my, he was probably my favorite teacher. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder, like, I don't want to say anything insulting because I know that your mom listens to this podcast, but I just wonder if, like, needing a certain type of male... Uh, male model, male model, <laughs> Zoolander, <laughs> uh, needing a certain type of father figure, you know, a certain type of male influence and maybe not having it, you know, um, I wonder if that has anything to do with it. Cause you get, you get somebody like that, you know, randomly in a teacher and you're, and you respond to it, but you don't psychologically, but you don't even really understand why it's like, yeah. cause you, maybe you needed that kind of a, yeah, my dad was definitely not, um, uh, you know, the most, uh, well, he, he was instructive. No, I don't know. No, that that's true. And he wasn't a disciplinarian, really. Yeah, no, not at all. He was kind of detached, really, from a lot of the stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, he would like swoop in and do things every now and then. What most of the time, when my mom forced him to. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I, I don't know. Like, maybe it could be. I know Corey was always like latching on to to like you know pseudo father figures when he was a kid. There might be something to that, man. Um, we could we could psychoanalyze that, but I want to get back to the Greeks real quick. And the Greeks, um, this is gonna this is prob- this is gonna border on sexist, but, but it, oh, it, it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been you know twenty years ago, but it will be today, because I'm gonna say something about. Um, uh, you looking for a lighter there, bud? Yeah. Uh, where'd it go? You lost it. Oh, you son of a bitch. Oh well. Uh, it's probably tucked in here somewhere. Don't worry about it. We're anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna say something when I'm describing schools that will be that people could say is sexist, and it goes oh there it is it goes something like this. The public school system is designed in a way that's effective for teaching girls. For sure. And this is what I mean when I say people might take that the wrong way. Not all girls are like that. Not all boys are like that. But in general, 
the type of uh, instruction that women will respond to, uh, the type of environment and structure that women will respond to, boys, by and large, have a much harder time responding to. And it's for the same reason that we, two of them that we already talked about. One of them is having a certain type of a, of a male role model and a male figure to, to command respect and to command attention and to be engaging in a certain way. That you, that, that's, how, that's how boys are going to respond. Um, the other part's the testosterone you, you brought up. Like, I, just uh, try, close your eyes and try to remember when you were 14 years old, when you were 12 years old, when you were 16 years old, sitting in school, you know, with all those hormones raging through you, having hugely powerful physiological demands and psychological demands. Try, just try paying attention to school when, when Shannon, two desks down, has three quarters of her leg showing. And you, and you got a boner so hard you can't stand up. And there's nothing you can do about it. Try to pay attention in that situation. Some people did, though. But not, maybe not as much as they might have yeah, true. in a different situation. The point is, that structure is not at all designed for boys full of testosterone or even young boys who want to run around and be physical and don't want to sit down with their hands folded and, and you know, learn, to, learn letter sounds. Yeah. You know, it's, the, the reason I bring this up is because the ancient Greeks had a whole different philosophy. And I don't know, like, if the girls were educated, or at least certainly not the same way, but the boys were educated. And what they would do is, for the first, I don't know how many years it was, like, in, into their teens, their education was physical. So it's like, you go to school, it's phys ed for the first 15 years of your life. Yeah. Nothing else. And that's awesome. That's awesome. And the kids were, they were, you know, running and wrestling and learning to fight and learning all that, all that stuff. That is so critical for boys. It's so critical for all sorts of reasons. And there's probably feminists out there right now rolling their eyes. Fuck them. But what I mean is boys need to be tired. They need to be fucking tired or they're not going to have attention to listen to you or they're not going to sleep well. They need to be physically fucking tired. They also need to learn their limits. They need to learn what hurts somebody, what hurts themselves, what they can do, what they can't do. They also need to learn to build on that so that they can start to realize, hey, I can improve. With, with my effort, I can get better, I can get faster, I can win that wrestling match next time. And those are like very important psychological lessons that boys need to learn in that way, by and large. And you know, maybe, there's, maybe there are certain girls of, of the similar types of personalities that would, would do better that way too. But by and large, that, you know, boys are like that. Yep. And, and they don't get that in school. And that, that's a huge problem, man. I agree. I, uh, I think... I mean, obviously, I, actually, I don't know this. I was going to say, I think there are some things that are better off learned, like sitting there diligently looking at it. Like you were talking about letter sounds and stuff. Like, I don't know. Maybe there is a way that you could design that into some kind of physical game. I don't doubt it. Yeah. But, um, you know. I'm thinking of uh, I'm thinking of those karate classes that, uh, that you, we were involved with when we were kids. Oh, yeah. you, you know, you could learn... You could learn to count that way, remember? Each, knee, sun, chi, go. Why do I still remember that? So that's one thing I had a revelation about when I started using, um, what's it called? Duolingo. Mm -hmm. um, just like the gamifying of learning, you know? Uh, I picked up way more German from Duolingo than I did from sitting in a class for two years because I, I failed the first year. I failed the second year too, but I just didn't take it again after that. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> No, I had to have, because 
Maybe I passed the second year somehow by the skin of my teeth because I think you I had to have it to graduate. To graduate, yeah. Or maybe that OWE class I was in, you would get extra credits, and I think they were like you could apply them to maybe. So maybe that's mm. what it was. Mm. I did not do well in school, man. <laughs> not. Listen, I struggle with math. I was telling you about Mr. Dorsey's class. I, I took two math classes with him. The first one was like I was like almost regretting it because he was so so hard on me. And the second time, I actually <laughs> sought him out because of because of the experience I had with him. And um, uh, when I had to take another math class to finish my degree, I, I ended up taking. Um, I told you about this one, uh, logic. Remember we did that episode yeah, yeah. on logic. I ended up taking logic because it counted as a math class. Because I was like, "Fuck, man, what what, what are my options here?" Yep. Like and it was also a philosophy credit, so I'm like, that's the one. That's yep. the one for me. I want to take the math class with the least amount of arithmetic. Thank you very much. So when you were in high school, uh, well, when I was in high school, uh, you know, there's a semester which in is made up of two quarters and then your final. Uh, that's how you know. That's how it was in my school. That's what your semester grade was made up of. Um, so in Westlake, uh, you could. If you pass two the two quarters, you didn't have to um, take the final. Oh. If you pass both quarters, you didn't have to take the final. Uh, and I remember one year I went into my geometry class, and the teacher was like, uh, "I was ready. To, I was like, I, I definitely failed one of these quarters." And he was like, "No, you you pass. You don't need to take it." And I nice. was like, "What?" <laughs> uh, like my eyes like almost popped out of my head. That was a, a super surprising. I, I just remember. I will always remember that. He was like, "No, you're good. You don't need to take it." I was, like, that's crazy. I will always remember the three legs of the tripod. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so there's, like, Montessori schools and shit where they teach differently. And, uh, like, kids, we talk, I think we may have talked about this a little bit, but kids that are, like, on a certain level in math would all be in the same class, even if yeah. they're all different ages yeah. and shit like that. Uh, or, or they let kids pursue what they're interested in. Um, you know, so it's like you don't – as long as you can – as long as you can pass, like, the – whatever government test you need to pass, they'll let the kids kind of do what they want. Like, I'm inter super interested in science this year, so it's like, <coughs> you know, three quarters of my time, I'm just in doing science. Yeah. That's fucking cool, man. Those, sort, those sorts of experiments are so cool compared to the standard, you know, developed in the 19-whatever-it-was, 30s education system that we still have, mm -hmm. you know? Doesn't seem to work that well. No. I mean, like you said... We are uh, in things like math and science, just like bottom of the barrel. Yeah, sad. It's sad. Um, it is sad. So uh, one <laughs> one thing I heard on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast the other day that I thought was interesting uh, earlier, we were talking about CNN, and there's been a lot of been a lot of memes lately because of what CNN tried to do to Joe and what Joe said about CNN. Uh, but did you know that CNN lost like ninety percent of their viewership over the last few years? Oh yeah. And uh, and Joe said that they're trying to uh, or they're considering going back to like an old fashioned news format that's completely objective, like just the facts. Bullshit. And and they're they're talking about getting rid of all of their opinion people, Don Lemon, all of them. It's crazy. I think that would be I think that would be brilliant. I think that would be the only thing that's ever going to save CNN at this point. They've lost all credibility. I mean, all news all news sources to me. Yeah, I mean, even even the co-option that I've that I've seen coming from Fox, um, you know, it, it's they, they've lost all credibility. Yep, I don't know if I believe it. You know, like I guess I'll believe, I'll it, believe when it when I see it. I see it. it yeah, and even if I see it, I'm still going to suspect that 
there's some kind of fuckery going on. I mean, just being completely yeah. honest with you, um, they like you said, they're so untrustworthy at this point that I don't believe it. I think that their reason for existing is to influence people. Mm. Um, maybe that's not how it started, but that's what they are now. Um, and I don't think that that's... Uh, that's particularly obvious with everything that's gone on with COVID. Is that's their function? Oh, absolutely. So yeah, COVID's been a, it's been a spotlight on that for sure. And the crazy thing is that uh, for for most of COVID, for most of the last two years, half of the population didn't see it. They still went right along with it and pretended like it was it, that that they were they were right and this was normal and you know all the conspiracy stuff, which just means any anybody who disagreed in any way was what could be written off. But now it seems like it's starting to turn a corner a little bit. Really? Yeah. Well, it just seems like you know uh, in the UK they got they lifted all the vaccine and man, and uh, mandate required mask and mandate requirements. Really? Yeah. Boris, I didn't know Boris, that. Boris Johnson just or just. Literally, I watched a little clip of the House of Commons. You know how that is in England. They get rowdy. Mm -hmm. And uh, Boris Johnson came there and he just given his speech. And he said, you know, as of today, we're lifting all, permanently lifting all mandates, vac vaccine and, uh, and uh, mask mandates. And the fucking House of Commons erupted in applause. Oh, really? Yeah, erupted in applause. Nice. So, well, he did that because he... Um, he got in trouble. That they're trying to get him to... Uh, they're trying to get him to... Uh, get him some bonus points. Well, so he... He was, uh, for a while, strict with the mandates. And yeah. then he was caught at a party, at a, pub, <laughs> at a public party. You fucking prick. And they were like, oh, you know, get rid of the guy. And now he's like, okay, we're going to get rid of all the mandates. But the point is, they did it. Ireland did it. And um, uh, you're, starting to see, you're starting to see articles about um, uh, the Omicron wave uh, hospitalizations and, and, um, and uh, infection rates starting to go down as though the peak has, has happened and now things are going to get better. You're starting to see stuff like that out, uh, which we haven't seen at all yet. And that's promising to me. That makes me feel like the, the government's finally getting the picture. And you don't see this on any of the news, but on Twitter, I see article after article after article of huge protests yeah. in France in Sweden, you know, all over the place. In Germany, um, you know, every day. You know, in France, uh, the the protest has been going on for a month. I did not know that. Sustained protests of hundreds of thousands of people. And in and in and in England, there's a there's a, I saw an article this morning that there's all these protesters surrounded the BBC. Like that's awesome. It's a really big bummer to me that that kind of stuff is not happening here. Yeah, it is absolutely. We should be we should be the ones pushing back against the authoritarianism more than anybody else. Yep. You know. Yep. I mean, we talk such a big game all the other time. You know. I, yeah. I, fucking America. I think it's. I think that's that's happening or not happening here for the same reason that communism has gained traction over the last you know so many years. Yeah. Because we're so distant from the from the catastrophe of what communism brought that we're we're like ready to believe it could be tried again. We're not, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But in Europe, you know, especially in Eastern Europe, man, they Fucking still man. haven't recovered. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, scary times. You know, like you think about what it's going to take to get people to have that fear again, you know? That's scary. That's yeah. the scariest part. Yep, not good. So speaking of, uh, I'll believe it when I see it, um, another article, another topic that's been in the news lately is... Um, 
potential invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Yep. So I just want to point out this isn't the first time that this has come up in recent years. No. You know, like building up troops around Ukraine uh, or Crimea or whatever. That, that, that was like yesterday as far as the, I'm concerned. Now it's happening again. And I had this thought. Um, Russia's been building up troops. It's been like months, I'm pretty sure, since, since they first started talking about it in the news. And it's like, oh, they're trying to put pressure on Ukraine, or they may invade Ukraine. Um, and I don't know why. I don't have any idea, like the politics there. I don't know. Um, and then Biden gives his speech not long ago, where the narrative that I heard was basically that, you know, he couldn't pass Build Back Better. He couldn't pass the voting rights reform. You know, uh, the, the, the vaccine mandates are getting shut down in federal court. You know, all this stuff's going wrong for Biden. So he decided that he, in order for the Democrats to have any chance of winning any elections um, uh, next year, is it next year? Next year, that um, that he would have to switch his narrative from um, domestic policy to foreign policy. So he doesn't want anybody thinking about the failures at the border mm-hmm. or you know uh, the failures with masks or whatever. He doesn't want anybody um, focused on that. He wants to change the narrative. So now he's talking about a new cold war and how uh, if Russia invades Ukraine he doesn't say if he's basically saying that it's going to happen and that if it's minor he says we're just going to sanction the hell out of Russia and they'll pay a, a, a price and uh, he also said on a public speech to everybody in the United States our president said that if Russia invades Ukraine they will win period he said it may take a little time and they'll pay a heavy price but there's no stopping it our president said that can you imagine any, if we had an interest in it, can you imagine any other U.S. president saying that? Especially, go because he's calling this a, a new Cold War. Go back to the Cold War era. Yeah. Can you imagine a president, a U.S. president? We can't win. We can't win. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I do think that there's, I think that there's almost something, it's not because it's coming from where it's coming from, but there's almost something admirable about saying that because it makes it less likely for us to go try to do something, I think, uh, which is good. I, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with what's going on in Russia and and the Ukraine. Me either. Let, just let them do whatever they're going to fucking do. Biden, who said in that speech that Russia will win Mm -hmm. and there's nothing we can do about it, also sent $400 million of U.S. weapons to Ukraine to help. So, uh, so, so, can you tell me how that's not a waste of money if he's convinced that it's that it's futile? Why would we send hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayer money to a foreign country when it's not going to matter anyway, according to his own words? You're getting my hackles up, man. I told you I have nothing but animosity for these people. It's so obviously. I don't know, man. I don't, e- I, what, what, I don't even know what word you use for that. It's, Completely idiotic, you know. I, I don't know, man. Seems like some kind of uh, I don't know, like getting conspiratorial. It seems like some kind of grand conspiracy for certain people to be able to make a fuck ton of money by just f- playing around with the lives of the world, you know. Um, and I don't like that. Sounds super conspiratorial. Mm-hmm. That sounds like some kind of like there's you know there's a boardroom and there you know. Illuminati. But, but it's not, man. I mean, you think about it, and it's obviously what's happening, you know? Um, 
So, it's all money interests. Like all of this shit is money interests. I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know what they are. I, like I said, I don't know. I don't know what they are, but there's definitely ulterior motives. And there was one other thing I noticed about Biden's speech that's so typical of this PC mind control bullshit. Uh, he he, after saying all this stuff about Russia imminently invading Ukraine, he wouldn't. He the words he used. Listen to this, man. He said, "If Russia moves units into the Ukraine." What? What's a unit, man? What's a unit? Oh, God. So he like because he's talking about armies. He's talking about soldiers. He's talking about tanks and weapons. But he says units to make it sound less scary. To make it sound yeah, to, like, yeah, dehumanized. That's it, man. Yeah. That's it. Yes. It's not a. It's not a real thing that's happening. It's not a real he's thing. He's transferring like money from a, a bank account. It's a game of risk, and we're only it's moving. Fucking... We're, all, we're only moving pieces across the border. Units. You fucking schmuck. He's a piece of shit, man. They're all pieces of shit. So here, here's why I, I bring this up. Because I'm sure you're, I'm sure I know which way you're going to go here, but yeah. I'm going to ask you anyway. I'm glad to know I'm so predictable. <laughs> well, it's just because I feel so strongly in one direction. I feel like you probably will, too. Um, so it's like this. If, if it's already publicly like um, talked about that Biden is trying to change the agenda from domestic policy to foreign policy in order to give the Democrats a chance, a hope in the world of maintaining some power. Um, do you think it's possible that this, all the shifting of, of, you know, media uh, away from all the negative stuff towards this fear, this, you know, fear of war in Ukraine, do you think that that is what's well, certainly a distraction? My question is, do you think it's a hoax? Do you think it's possible that that somebody like Putin and, and Biden could have a conversation and Putin has certain interests and he says, look, I can move a bunch of soldiers there and we can use this to control the public narrative. Yeah, let me be the bit, the, the boogeyman for a little bit. Sure. Take attention off of you being a fucking idiot. Do you think that's possible? A little tit for tat? Oh, for sure. You know, and what are we giving, what are we giving them to, you know, to do this? I, I don't think that Russia will invade Ukraine. I, th- I think this is all a distraction. Yeah. Because who cares? Apart from the people in the in, in Ukraine, who in the world fucking cares that there's 170,000 troops on the border of, of... Russian soldiers are allowed to be in Russia, dude. That's where they are. They're not in Ukraine. Who cares? And, I mean, you know that the history of the Ukraine and Russia and that entire area, it's very complicated. You've got... Groups of people who consider themselves blah, 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 blah. groups of people who consider themselves Russian living in Crimea in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, y- I mean, you take. I mean, this isn't a justification saying that just because people from the outside can't tell the difference that they fuck their opinion. But like, you ask like your normal American to tell you the difference between a Ukrainian person and a Russian person. Good you luck. got a, a Russian guy here and a Ukrainian guy here. You it's like you tell me which one's which. I have no fucking idea. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, I don't know. I just think that like the, uh, there's a lot of reasons why what Russia is doing is not, it's bad, but it's not any worse than a bunch of the shit that we do. If, if the United States sent 170,000 troops and they just kind of gathered on the border of Canada and we just had this military buildup, like there's no reason. I mean, uh, that's probably a poor comparison because there, there's, <clears throat> I'm sure, political reasons and other interests that Russia would have in taking over Crimea or taking over Ukraine. Um, but can you imagine this sort of um, 
media reaction to a buildup of troops on either of our borders. There's just no reason to, to be concerned about it. You know, we're not, we're not invading Canada. We're not invading Mexico, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how you're doing it. I don't, because I can't see that being a big deal. I mean, people talk about, um, like, uh, have you heard this thing about China having troops in Canada? <laughs> no. Yeah. Let's hear that. I mean, I don't know too much about it. I don't even know if it's true, to be honest with you. But uh, I've heard and I've seen pictures of like Chinese troops, like in what in what looks to be Canada. Um, but uh, you know, if China had like a big military presidents presidents <laughs> presidency, uh, no, a big military presence in Canada, I can understand why at least the government would be worried about that. You know. Yeah, but it seems to me like if we did that, if we had a buildup of military on the border of Canada, like it w- it would be a media frenzy. People would be like, why? What's going on? But we aren't going to invade Canada. But you might do that if you wanted the media to say, what's going on? To, to be a distraction. That's, yeah. what it, that's what it seems like to me. And it's probably, it's probably not fair because the, the relationship of the U.S. and Canada really can't be compared to the Russia and Ukraine. True. But you know what I mean, man. Yeah. I don't know. I um... Oh, you were talking about the Chinese in Canada and it made me think of, uh, I don't know if this is real or not. Tell me if you've heard this before. That the South Koreans have prison camps in Siberia, uh-huh. or the North Koreans, excuse me, yeah. have prison camps. Have, have <laughs> That'd <prison>, be crazy. <laughs> have prison camps in Siberia, and that the North Korea, which which is basically China. I mean, there's no difference really. That they have a just a huge military and prison complex in Russia, in Siberia. Yeah, is, is that legit? Is that a thing? I've heard that before. Um, I don't know if it's true or not, but. I wouldn't be surprised at all if it is. I mean, you think about how big Siberia is. Russia can't police Siberia. Yeah, I mean, there's there's all sorts of other reasons why they might want to have that kind of relationship True. with China, too. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a big, big plot of land. Huge. That you could just do whatever you want You with, could have so you know? many. You could have 12 Disneylands in Siberia. And it would be like like drive, like driving from Disneyland to Disney World for each and every one of them. Like the distance between yeah, like the whole country of the United big, States. Yeah, It's a big area. Huge. It's crazy. So Disney, get on that, man. There's money to be made. <laughs> the Siberian people need to, uh, need to have some rest and relaxation at a Disney park. Well, there's not much else going on up there, true, man. True, true. I mean, you know, what are they doing up there? Living in the snow? Riding snowmobiles. Yeah. That sounds fun. Yeah, it does sound I wanna, good. I might want to go live in Siberia. This is how this is how rural Siberia is. You, you remember the hearing about the Tunguska impact? Yeah. So there's a meteor impact in Russia. There's a meteor fell from the heavens, struck the earth, and demolished acres and acres of forest. And it's so cool if you guys look at pictures of Tunguska. Yes. It's like the trees are, in t- are like sideways, bent sideways from the impact in all different directions. And nobody had any fucking idea that it happened. One day, somebody just found all these trees pushed over, and we're like, what? A meteorite hit Siberia, and nobody fucking knew about it. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, to go back to Metallica, they have a song called All Nightmare Long, and the v- music video is based off of the Tunguska event. Oh, nice. It's pretty sweet. You should watch it. <laughs> it's also, as far as new Metallica goes, a pretty good song. Good. So I haven't listened to much new Metallica. Yeah, most yeah. people haven't. Uh, I did see him live though not long ago, and it was a really great show. And I, I would ne- about I that. would never go again. Yeah, never go again. Yeah, it's way too polished. Yeah, it's like going to see an orchestra. It's like way too polished, man. 
Yeah. And even like the crowd work has been practiced so much that it, not, it doesn't come off as genuine at all. Yeah. You know? Oh, I know exactly what you mean. I saw them, I mean, it's been quite a while at this point. It's been almost 10 years. But even then, I could kind of, I mean, it was clear that they played those songs a bunch, you know. And they're so good. Yeah. You, that they never, never make any mistakes. And the vocals sound like you're listening to the record. It's like, when I go see a live show, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, man, it's like, so half the fun of it is to hear the different cadence, this, you know, they're going to do it a little different because it's live, you know? Yeah. You know, you're going to hear their voices break a little bit. You're going to hear a, a longer guitar solo, you know, whatever. It's not going to be like, like you, I could sit in my car and listen to the album. Why, yeah. why am I spending a hundred bucks to go, to go sure. see you, you know? Yep. When I saw them, it was at their festival. It was in Detroit, and the first night was headlined by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. The second night was headlined by Metallica, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers were way better than mm. Metallica. <laughs> way better. Because um, it was just so much more loose and fun, and they never... I don't remember them stopping playing. I think that in between they would play a song and then they would like go right into another song and in between songs they would like just jam i don't think they stopped playing the really? entire time would you say that to hetfield's face i mean i <laughs> i probably would i mean what's he going to do punch me um i but i wouldn't i'm not trying to be disrespectful i love metallica yeah, but me too. but just as far as live goes metallica just doesn't do what i like as much yeah i get you I'm with you, man. So. Although some bands, you see them live, and you're like, I wish I had never seen them live. It's so bad. Yeah. Like c certain bands that I really have liked, like like the Spill Canvas first album, mm -hmm. I thought was so amazing. I'd like to day. give them another shot. Yeah, but then I saw them live, and I was like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. I, they're still a band. Nice. So I, I bet you they're better live. I, I don't think you would be around that long if you weren't like... That, that's true, yeah. You know? So. My, my wife hates them with a fiery passion. Yeah. She gets like that, man, where she'll have like certain things. She's just like, nope. And then there's no ever, no persuading her ever. Yeah. Like trying to get her to watch the, trying to get her to watch the notebook. Cause it's like a girl movie, man, but it's a great one. And I'm like, you gotta watch it. You've never seen it. You gotta watch it. Nope. Not doing it. Like yeah. I'll pay you money. Nope. She just, she won't bend. There's something that I do love about the notebook, but I also think that it is kind of a bad movie to be honest with I'd you. I'd have to go back and rewatch it and reevaluate, but I seem to remember it being heart wrenching. There were things about it that were good for sure. I just think it was kind of like a cheesy love movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But if you're a bird, I'm a bird, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hard to argue with. Um, um, oh, I wanted to ask you, so, uh, for those people who uh, who don't know, um, Mr. Kyle has been considering uh, going into business for himself and trying to do all the homework involved with figuring out how to do that. So I was going to ask you how that's going. Um, it's going. I mean, I, I, I feel like I might not be able to start out as big as I was hoping. I mean, I wasn't, it's not like I was planning on starting out huge or anything like that, but um, I think... For this spring, I might not be able to do it on as large a scale as I was hoping. But, it, I mean, I'm not even ruling it out. It just, basically, I just have to wait for things to get approved, which is so fucking stupid mm. to me. I do not understand why I can't slap a fucking sticker on the side of my truck and say, I'm a business now. Yeah, you should. It's so stupid that I have to wait to have m my 
corporation approved by the state. Yep. It doesn't make any fucking sense. And then you have to turn around and buy business insurance. It's called insurance, John. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Insurance. It's, it's all pretty fucking stupid. Yeah, man. Uh, but in the old days, before all those regulations, see, this is why you know, the liberals always pick on conservatives for being anti-regulation. But in the old days, you could just start a business exactly like you said. Yep. Today, you can't, not without shelling out tons of money to the government and tons of money to private businesses with links to the government, like ins- like business insurance, liability insurance. You know What happens if you're cutting someone's grass and you kick up a rock and it breaks their window? Now the $40 job that you just did costs you 500 bucks. Yep. You know, you got to have insurance, John going to be a lot more than $40. It's called insurance. That's, uh, that's a shout out to Matthew. I guess he's the only one that's going to understand that reference. No, I get the, I get the reference. Oh, I know you did, but I'm okay. talking about, I'm talking about the other assholes but listening to our conversation that. right now. Um, yeah, it's, it's all stupid. Did you hear, uh, uh, after the Supreme court ruled that, um, the vaccine mandate was illegal. Remember they cut, they carved out a little thing saying the Anybody getting federal money, the, the uh, medical pro- providers getting federal money could still maintain it. After that happened, uh, another federal judge, I think in Texas, ruled that the federal mandate was illegal. So now there's a temporary hold on that until until they can sort that out. Yeah. So that's, that's also kind of encouraging. I think, I was thinking this earlier, um, all of this stuff that they're trying to push through, if there was no, you know, I was talking about how I was kind of bummed out about how there's not more resistance going on here. Um, but I do think that there must be resistance going on because all of this stuff that they want and they're not getting, they would just be taking it if there was no resistance, you know? That's like, a good point. Uh, so there's got to be some kind of a resistance. Uh, I don't know what shape that's taking, well, you, you don't, know? Well, that's, that's a really interesting point because you're, you're right. You're right. Logically, there must be resistance, but you don't hear about it mm-hmm. because the media controls what you hear. True. But you do get little clips of like Rand Paul yeah, talking to, talking okay. to you know, and you see it there, you know. Mm-hmm. True. I, I don't know who else is doing it, but Rand Paul's doing it. Yeah. I didn't even watch Rand Paul's la- latest thing. I heard he teed off on Tauchi. Tauchi <laughs> again. Uh, he did it again? Oh, man. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's been one since the, the most recent one that I saw, but yeah. I mean, that was like, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. I love that guy so much, man. Yep. He's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, I saw an article that kind of blew my mind. I, I, I follow like these um, physics and science articles. I like to see what's going on. Like, I like to see like if, you know, there's been a breakthrough and like they can cure Alzheimer's disease or something. I want to know about that. It's oh, yeah. super interesting to me. So, so there's a website called fizz.org that I'll follow and some other, other places. And uh, these kind of articles will pop up. And a lot of them are like space and physics related. And uh, some of them are medicine and are archaeology related. But there was one I saw recently. Uh, tell me if you saw this one. They have that new Hubble telescope out there um, what, you know, in space. And it's uh, capturing all kinds of interesting shit. One of the things it captured is um, a black hole. That is spewing out gas, and it, all the stuff that's being spewed out of this black hole are creating stars. So it's like a it's like a stellar nursery. Mm. But this is the thing: nobody has ever seen anything come out of a black hole. In fact, up until this article came out, the definition of a black hole was yeah. a singularity that Nothing not even escapes. light could escape. Yeah. And if you go in, there's no coming back. And all of a sudden, they found this fucking supermassive black hole that is vomiting up stuff and creating stars out of it. And they have no idea. It's unprecedented. 
what in the fuck is that? That's crazy. The what, man. So that's another that's another thing we can talk about as far as like trust the science is concerned. Yeah, fuck up, your science. Up until last Tuesday, science was sure that a black hole was a singularity that would that had such strong gravity it pulls everything in, even light, which nothing else can do, and that's what it is. And we were fucking certain of it. Yep. And now we're wrong. Yeah. We've been proven wrong. If, you know. A couple months ago, if you suggested that a black hole is anything but that, people would have made you look like an idiot. Absolutely. They'd drag you through the mud. This guy's <laughs> a pseudoscientist. Yep. Fucking um, charlatan. What does it make you think of that, that they found this black hole spewing? Does, does it make you wonder if, like, there are wormholes and the ones that suck in are connected to ones that spit out somewhere? Ooh, that'd be cool. Or maybe the stuff that gets sucked in gets something happens to them in, in the abyss, and then that it shoots out, you know, more star stuff, you know, to kind of start the whole cycle over what again. What that looks like, you know, like with your own eyes, not not you know whatever this interpretation from a telescope is. But yeah. if you were like a safe enough distance away that you weren't gonna die, but you could still like see it like you can in space. Mm. So I imagine what that looks like is like a sea of stars with a big black. Spot where there are no stars. That, that's that's how the black hole is sucking. All, it's sucking in all yeah. the light, and then from the middle of this black splotch is just a stream of light and colorful gas. Like I, I don't know. That that's just what my imagination creates. Is this black hole still attracting things, or is it only spitting things out at this point? That's a great question. That's a great question. I don't know. I don't know if they know. And eventually, if it's not. Also, still attracting things, will it eventually not be a black hole anymore? If it gets rid of so much mass and energy, will it cease to be a black hole at some point? You would think so, because because the gravity that ca- causes it to be a black hole would get less and less yeah. as it's spewing shit out. Or maybe not. I don't know. I'm not a fucking physicist, Kyle. That's crazy. But I, I, there's an interesting thing that comes to my mind that's hippy-dippy, which is... Uh, you? When, <laughs> when, I, when, I talk about, uh, when I talk about God... I talk about it as, uh, as, as the union of opposites, which is something that you and I would call potential or that objective reality stuff that we don't understand behind mm-hmm. our perceptions. Um, that, to me, is a union of opposites. And the, I talk about that in lots of ways, but one of the ways I talk about it is the union of being and non-being. So non-being is something like God or the unconscious, something unknowable. And being is like everything you see and touch and experience. And what's what what God is is the union of the two, and you think that if you take two opposite things and you put them together that they disappear, but I don't think that's true. I think they become potential. They become something that can become anything. Mm. And that's the immortal, eternal thing that we call consciousness or whatever. So that's the hippy dippy part. But I wonder with a black hole because nobody knows where does the stuff go when it goes in there. Just like we don't know where we go when we die. You know what happens when we die. It seems to me that. Whatever, whatever, wherever this place is that everything is getting sucked into, it doesn't exist in being. It's like non-being, mm-hmm. you know. And what's spewing out of the black holes is like being. It's, in this case, it's like the, it's like the Big Bang. It's the creation of something of some new, st- st- you know, galaxy or whatever. Um, I just wonder if that is a physical like proof or a physical example of the connection between being and non-being. I don't know, man. That's crazy, though. I don't know. Uh, it makes me think of, so stupid, but it makes me think of in Harry Potter, 
uh, in the last book, The Deathly Hollows, when they are in Hogwarts trying to find the lost diadem of Ravenclaw. <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah. Because it's a horcrux. Um, it sure is. Uh, Harry is in... It's, it's in the room of requirement, by the way. Keep going. Harry is in the Ravenclaw common room, and uh, Professor McGonagall is trying to get in with one of the Caro brothers who are Death Eaters, you know. And uh, you had to get into the Ravenclaw uh, common room, you have to answer a, a riddle, uh, like a question. And the question, the first one for Harry and Luna to get in is something about, I, I forget what the question is, but the answer is that uh, a circle doesn't have a beginning. Mm, I like it. Okay. Yeah. Then for McGonagall to get in, it's uh, what happens to vanished objects. And she says that they go into non-being, which is to say everything. Oh, isn't that crazy? Oh, I, I, I must have missed that because I, I read Harry Potter before I got into all this mystical stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. Isn't that crazy? J.K. Rowling is the legit. Yeah, man. I, I listened. I've listened to the entire series twice now in the last, like, I would say, four months, and it's great, man. I mean, I have so much respect for J.K. Rowling as a writer. Dude, I, I've got a whole bunch of Audible credits, and I was th- I was wondering what I could do with them. Yeah, I think man. I'm gonna go get some. I'm gonna you go should. get some Harry Potter books. Dude, on they're audio. good as hell, man. I uh, loved them, man. And having listened to them like twice in a row, like I did, um, I noticed the second time through that she must have been planning a lot of that stuff from like wait, you know, it, I don't think a lot of this stuff was coming to her last minute. And she's like, oh, I can connect. No, she had it planned. She if, knew. if she did, that's so impressive. Yeah, I mean, there are certain things that maybe she did. It could have been accidental, like, um, like the fact that the entire series people spend uh, telling Harry that he has his mother's eyes. The entire series, yeah, right? Yeah, yep. And then at the end, in like the last two chapters, uh, you find out that Snape has always been in love with Harry's mom, yep, and yep. Snape's last words are, "Look at me," because uh, he's got his mother's eyes. Oh, but dude! Even if that's an accident, that is fucking powerful. Oh man. God, it's good shit. So man. I remember, I remember all that, but I didn't put that together that way. See, I always thought that the reason why Snape agreed to um, protect Harry, and the reason why he was always so hard on him, was because he had a soft spot for Harry because Harry reminded him of Harry's mom. Mm. But I never, I never put two and two together that when Snape was dying, that what he wanted most was just to see the eyes of the woman he loved. Yeah, that's man. so good, man. Isn't it? God damn, that's good. Oh yeah, the hair standing up my arms. She's a good writer. Uh, uh, from what I understand, the stuff that she's done since has not been as good. But I mean, well, I really liked uh, Tales of Beetle the Bard when the, when yeah. she published that. That was really cool. But I haven't, uh, dude. I love that. I mean, there's so much about those books that like is perfectly in line with the stuff that I'm interested in because that like Tales of Beetle the Bard. I love the idea of old folk tales and how they like influence, too, you know, man. just like the hidden truths in there and, you know, all the stuff with the Deathly Hollows and the Peveril brothers. Shit was great. I mean, she just did a great job. So you can see that stuff too in Tolkien and that's a good, mm-hmm. like a good like comparison because uh, with the specifically the stuff about, about elves and fairies and dwarves and gnomes and all that stuff that was part of um, Germanic and Viking mythology that's all been been painted into the, the Tolkien uh, universe and you can you can pick up on it you know yeah uh, some of the ways are straightforward some aren't but super impressive well one good thing about you said you got a bunch of audible credits is that you get to listen to Jim Dale do it Jim Dale that guy is incredible we've talked about him on the podcast already but it's just worth mentioning again that that guy is incredible Jim Dale is a, uh, he's a gem. Yep. 
Jim, Jim is a gem. Jim is a gem. As far as uh, audio book readers go, I mean, he's got to be. I, I tried to look for other stuff that he's done just to like, you know. Oh, yeah. But I didn't, I don't know. I didn't find anything, I don't think. Um, all right. So I've got, I want to talk, I want to circle back to something we said when we were talking about math earlier. And I said, I would, I would have been, what would have got me, would have hooked me with math is if somebody would have explained to me how we got there, how we figured it out, how we proved it, what the problems were we were trying to solve, what that, that we used math to solve, like, and how math, math developed, how, you know, how and why it developed like that. That would have been interesting to me, like the historical context behind mm-hmm. it. And the reason that, that those ideas are so well thought out for me is because uh, I found a couple of documentaries on CuriosityStream that do exactly that. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of them I've been watching is called Precision. And the first, it's three episodes. And it's just this mathematician, this, f- I guess, famous popular mathematician from England, um, Marcus de Savoy or something like that. Uh, he um, talks about the history of measurement and telling time and how we figured all of that out. He talks about, you know, the meter and how we came up with the meter. And it's based on the measurement of the circumference of the earth. So it was supposed to be a universal measurement. And the people in the U.S. were like, fuck you. We're going st- yeah, yeah. to stick with feet and miles, bitch. Um, so, so he was talking about all that and how the ancient Egyptians would tell time using sundials. But depending on different times of, of uh, the year, the, the shadows wouldn't be the same. So you couldn't quite measure hours correctly. And how the first clocks that they came up with didn't have faces on them. All they did was measure an hour somehow, and then ding, ding every hour. Then they figured out how to how to how to duplicate that sundial pattern and uh, make a clock face. And he just tells the whole history of it, and how now we how now our clocks are based on the subatomic decay of cesium atoms, and how like when the first clocks were were built in Europe, that they lost 15 minutes a day. And the clocks that we use today that are based on the decomposition of atomic particles loses one second in a hundred billion years or something like that. Wow. Like that's how accurate they are. And if we didn't have clocks that accurate, we wouldn't have been able to hit the moon. When we, when we sent our rockets up, any error, any small error over those distance, he said we, we could have missed the moon by a hundred thousand miles. That's crazy. You know what I mean? That's the kind of stuff you're like, oh shit, okay, that's cool. Yeah. You know, and that, that gets you hooked. Yep. And I never had that with math, but I, I but him and uh, there's another another lady on there, uh, another British lady. Anyway, she does math, and then, then another guy. Uh, his name is uh, uh, Akalili is his last name. I can't remember his first name. Anyway, he doesn't he does it about physics. So he talks he walks you through how quantum physics developed because of the problems that they couldn't solve, the mysteries they couldn't solve, uh, like the. Like the mystery, like how we were talking about the other day, how electricity and magnetism are connected to each other, and we, we couldn't figure out why until we realized, you know, that there was that they were one thing, you know, mm-hmm. and how they solved that problem. And there was something called the uh, photoelectric effect. They, they couldn't. They were they were trying to figure out why there was this, why light would call would make it easier for electricity to travel. You shine a light bulb. They would have these static charging machines. They were they would like hand crank the static up. And it would build up a charge in these two like metal poles, and then you could get a spark between them. And that's how that's what how they were first trying to experiment with electricity. And then they found out you could shine a light on them, and it would be easier for the electricity to travel. Mm-hmm. So there's a connection between electricity and light, and it, they, no one had any idea. It was called the photoelectric effect. And uh, anyway, he talks about how they solve the problems, and I'm like, yes, man, that's what makes physics interesting. 
That's what I want to know. Yep. So I tell you all that to tell you I learned an interesting tidbit from one of these documentaries. It's stupid, but it, it's just I never knew it, it's it, it and it blew my mind. Okay. So I want to I want to give it to you. Hear <coughs> um, it. I want to give it to you, but I want to I want to incorporate another interesting topic while I'm doing it, so everyone's sufficiently confused. I saw an uh, article title which I like to look at in the news, like. How are they trying to influence me? I don't want to read the article. I just want to know what, how you're trying to spin it because it tells me everything I need to know, you know? Okay. And one of these article titles said, Doomsday clock strikes 100 seconds to midnight. All right, so you know how, <laughs> you know, you know how they brought up this idea of a doomsday clock during like, uh, well, it was, uh, maybe it goes way back, but I remember it during Bush. Uh, during Bush's administration, yeah. we're like, oh, you know, we're super close to war. Or like back in the, um, I think it was Cold War. The, yeah, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. Like, oh, we're, you know, and so the clock just gets ever closer to destruction. Midnight's going to be the the time when the shit hits the fan. And this article title says, "Doomsday Clock Strikes 100 Seconds to Midnight." So now we're we're so close, right? 100, 100 seconds? seconds. And you know what it made me think of? What? You know, when you were a kid, and you were like. Let's say you were giving somebody an ultimatum and you wanted something from them, but you're going to give them to the count of three. Yeah. And then you're like, three, two, two and a half. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's what they're doing here. They're yeah. like, they're, 100 seconds to, it means, it means fucking nothing. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. It's so stupid. Uh, that, that whole, two and three quarters. That whole idea of the doomsday clock has always seemed and I know it's something that like people took seriously I guess but it seems so stupid and like cartoony and like who is making the decision that this is where the fucking clock is who's making the decision that it makes any sense to put a simplistic symbol on public television and tell people to be afraid it's all stupid. very afraid yeah all right so the reason I tell you those two stories in connection is because this thing about time um, they were talking about that in that precision documentary like how they how they figured out how to tell accurate time and this is the thing I thought was interesting 100 seconds to midnight we understand seconds we know what that means yeah. but I figured out where it came from when they were first trying to figure out how to break up a second and an hour and they broke them up into 60 minutes and 60 seconds the people who did that called minutes minutes and seconds second minutes oh, okay. and we just shortened it to seconds that's pretty cool that's the kind of shit I find fascinating Second minutes. And I think I want to start saying that now and confuse everybody. <laughs> it's also like um, like I never knew what AM and PM stood for. Like I'm guessing 99% of the people listening don't have any idea what AM and PM. I do know that, and I've known that for a long time, but I don't really know why I know that, to be honest with you. I looked it up one day. To tell the audience. Do you know? Anti-meridian and post-meridian? Anti-meridian and post-meridian. Exactly. Yeah. How about this? AM and FM on a radio. Do you know what they mean? I don't. Amplitude modulation and oh, frequency I modulation. Know that actually. So those are just things that like I never knew, but it's yeah. like they're so common in parlance that nobody we just accept it and nobody fucking knows what it means. So I looked it up one day, you know? Yeah. Cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, what else you got, Kyle? Um second minutes, you guys. Nothing really. I mean, what else do I got? Oh, I do. I I want to tell the story that I told about that guy. So I was coming here <laughs> yeah. with the snow. the The freeway was super bad. Not, I mean, it's, this snow came like relatively recently, and it came down pretty quick. So the road, nothing has been done to the roads. 
And I was on the freeway coming here, and this guy was driving like a total prick, like right behind somebody with like really bad snowy roads. Um, so he he flies by me. What kind of car was he driving? Um, it was a, I think it was uh, like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Impala, like a Chevy Impala, oh, like a, one, a newer, okay. you know, so yeah. it was a pretty nice car, but not like. It wasn't like, a truck or an SUV. No, yeah, no okay. nothing that he should have felt super confident in. And uh, so he comes up riding this person's ass, flies by me, um, and just uh, eventually he's out of sight. And I don't know, maybe two exits down the road, he's spun out on the side of the freeway. It's just <laughs> so gratifying. Yeah. You don't it. get to see that kind no, of stuff often. never. You know? That happened to me one time where uh, I was driving long distance. I think I might have been driving to Tennessee. I was driving long distance, and um, I kept... I kept re-encountering the same car, you know, mm-hmm. over and over again, and it would it would it would always be zooming around me and uh, you know or getting on my ass and making me get over, and it was going like way way too fast, and um, uh, I did see that that car pulled over and it, like a little little ways up because you know it zoomed past me and it was gone and I didn't see it for a while. Then I saw it with the flashing lights and that nice. fucking car on the side of the road. Fuck you! But that almost never happens. Yeah, very rarely. Uh, do you remember the time that you were coming home from your ex-wife's house and some guy swerved into your lane? <laughs> do I remember? <laughs> so okay, so yeah, I do remember because it was the the time the time I came most close to death. You know, either that or the uh, the time that uh, I was helping uh, take a car take apart the old pool in Carl's backyard and uh, that piece of metal hit oh, me in the leg. Fuck man! It, it flayed my leg open like a fish. That was disturbing. If, if it would have hit me in the in the in an artery or You're in the gone. neck, I was a dead man. Yep. I was a, I would have been a fucking dead man for sure. Anyway, um, so I was a teenager and I was driving on a. Not, you wouldn't call it a country road, but there's nothing around. I would call it a country. It's kind road. of a country road, but it's in between two reasonably sized suburbs, yeah. and it's not a big stretch of country road. Yeah. But it's one lane on both sides, and um, I was behind this slowpoke. And I was waiting for an opportunity to get around him. And I was a teenager, so I was like an aggressive driver, and I was like impatient, right? Um, and I saw the cars went by on the left, and then I had plenty of room. I could see the headlights, but I had plenty of room to get around the guy. So I hit the gas, I go around him. And all, while I'm like halfway around the guy, the, the headlights that were coming my way were way bigger than they should be. Like they were, he, he was moving way faster than he should be. Like I could judge based on how far away he was that I had plenty of time. But when I was midway around the car, I'm like, I may not have plenty of time. So I got really scared and I ended up having to jerk back into the lane in front of the guy that I was trying to get around. And I maybe sort of cut him off, but he, he was fine. That was about two seconds before the, the car coming in the left lane was close enough to me where I was in danger. So the point is, I got around the guy successfully, but like in the nick of time. The guy coming at me, though, did a little quick jerk. He just moved his car a little bit towards me um, just, to, just to show me. You know, Clearly, he was speeding, and he was trying to speed. Uh, he sped up. There was no doubt in my mind. When he saw me getting around the car, he sped up. That's why he, his lights came so much uh-huh. faster than I expected. And that motherfucker gave a little jerk into my lane right, right as he passed by me just to show me that, that you know, Whatever, you know, he's the boss. Yeah. And I reflexed to that and jerked my wheel. And then I spun out. I spun three or four times. I spun out in my lane. Next thing I know, I'm in the other lane. Then I come back in my lane. Thank God I was back in my lane and didn't, it wasn't, didn't come to rest in oncoming traffic. Yeah. But I ended up kind of halfway in the ditch. That's just scary, man. And I, I, I spun around three fucking times and came to a rest. And I just sat there silently. 
with my eyes wide open, like, what in the fuck just happened? And then I, after a couple minutes, I put the car back in drive, came to, came to your house, <laughs> came, to you, came to see you and Matt, and explained to you that I almost died. Yep, I remember that. That was uh, I. That's the first time you told it, and I think that much detail uh, because that's crazy, man. It was crazy. It was so scary. scary, man. So when he like jerked into your lane and you did it back, you did it back as like a fuck you. Like, is no, that- no, I, I went away from him. Oh, away. He, he came oh. toward me, and I went away to try, you know what I mean. Yeah. But I was going so fast at that point because I had to try to get around him. Yeah, that's a big like just that is a big adjustment when you're going that yeah. quickly. I was so. in a I was in a 1991 Honda Accord. Hell yeah, that burnt Sun- orange. Sunburst orange. Yeah, dude. Oh, it was a good car. It was a good car. Uh, what's the closest you've ever been to death? Um, I mean, I got into a car accident when I was a kid in California on the freeway. Mm. Um, just, you know, spun around. You know, car was completely totaled. I was afraid the car was going to blow up. Um, How old were you? Just, I think from watching movies, you know, <laughs> I, just, I thought the car was gonna blow up. Help me, Arnold. I was, I would say maybe nine. Oh, that's scary, man. Yeah, um, easily could have died. Um, when else have I ever been close to death? I don't, I don't think I really have. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we've all done really stupid things. Like I remember uh, me and uh, Brian after uh, after Kim and Kathy passed away. Yeah. Uh, when we were teenagers, we went to uh, his his grandpa's cabin in Zanesville and um you know we're just a couple of couple of teenage guys out there with no supervision you know on this plot of land and uh we were grieving and we were just trying to find ways of of entertaining ourselves so there was an old broken down truck and we took the hood off the truck and we went up to the cabin and we we built a ramp from the from the deck of the cabin to the top of the hill and it was a really steep hill it was covered in real tall grass like three foot tall like you know like wheat looking grass you know and we we got on that hood like it was a sled and we slid down the ramp and down the hill yeah and that was fun but not fun enough kyle (laughs) so you got to keep up in the ante so we built a ramp at the bottom of the hill made out of tires and and (laughs) made out of tires and a in a board like a a, what do they call that like compressed uh plywood basically And we just drug this piece of plywood over. We put some tires underneath it. We got the right angle. We thought, you know, this, this, this is this is stable. This Science, is gonna work. Baby. Science. Then we then we then we get on the um, on the on the well one at a time. We get on the hood, down the hill. We hit the ramp, but we don't get enough. We don't get enough air. So then we think, let's both get on the hood because then we'll oh, be because then we'll be heavier. Then yeah. we'll go faster. So by this time we had gone down that we we had gone down the hill so many times that the grass wasn't standing up anymore. It was flat, and all the liquids from the from the from the grass were starting to seep out, and it was like slick then. Yeah. So then we both get on. We go down the slick hill from top top of the fucking um, cabin patio down to the hill, hit the ramp, and we got air that time. Yeah. And we we both were immediately thrown off of the thing. But I was thrown into a tree. Oh, fuck. Like, directly into a tree. So, I don't know. Maybe I was, like, four f- feet in the air. Yeah. And my leg gets pinned between the tree and the hood. Oh, fuck. And it just clips me. And I fell. We both fell. And Brian pops up, you know, uninjured. And I pop up, and my leg is gushing blood. Oh, shit. And we're, Brian and I are at this cabin by ourselves, an hour from a hospital. And we're teenage boys. We're like, you know, rub some dirt in it. Um, I, I was in so much pain. I, I sat in the car 
we, we, there was ace bandages in, in the cabin. And so I just wrapped an ace bandage around my leg and I sat in the car and I, and you know, Brian just was just doing what he was doing. And I'm just sitting in there like waiting for the pain to stop so I can rejoin the party. And, um, and I, I couldn't like it hurt to walk. Fuck so like yeah. it, it was deep, it was deep, like clipped the muscle or something. And it was like, every time I took a step, it was like pushing a bruise really hard. It, it was really painful. Um, anyway, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to bed. So, uh, I, I, we had two ace bandages, two entire ace bandages wrapped around my leg and I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I had bled through Damn, both, dude. both ace bandages Holy all shit. onto the, onto the bed. Um, and you know, I was fine. <laughs> no stitches. Yeah. It all healed. It's kind of weird. It's like, so the scar tissue is so thick there that when you press on it, it's just like, like play-doh that you left out too too long you know yeah you can just press on it so there's no muscle there it's just scar tissue Crazy, like man. an inch thick of scar tissue so that's the kind of dumb shit boys do and you know i, I could have easily died i could have bled to death sure uh you know and now that i think about it uh i was pretty close to death when i totaled that car i bought from you guys oh i shit. was driving down the road and i honestly i don't know what i like did that distracted me but I took my eyes off of the road for like a fraction of a second that's all it takes and uh, like the side of the road it was like I was kind of at a going at a curve and you know like the passenger side front wheel of the car just went off the road a little bit and there was not like much of a side road it's like you know the road's here and then right next to the road is a ditch a big ditch too uh, yeah and I uh, I went uh, you know I just Went off the road, tried to correct, but it was too it was too late. I couldn't correct back onto the road, and I was super close to hitting a telephone pole, Ooh. like real close. I didn't have a seatbelt on. Oh, um, yeah, it was. I, I could have easily died. And the thing that that car was so low to the ground, man. Yeah, like it might not have been so bad if it were any other car. Yeah. Well, I so I went off the road and I hit. Uh, it was like right at somebody's driveway where I did it. And uh, I hit, they had a, a railroad tie like that was kind of a, like a oh, girding yeah. their yeah. driveway. And I hit that and just completely destroyed it. Uh, bounced, like kind of hit hit the side of their driveway, almost like a ramp, destroyed that railroad tie, and then like blasted up oh. into their yard. Oh, shit. And uh, my wrist went up through the windshield like it was on the steering wheel. Oh, and it bashed up. It was all bleed. It was bleeding like oh, crazy. Oh, man. Um, and I remember I landed and I was like, oh, I definitely fucked the car up. I knew that, but I didn't think it was totaled until I like kind of, I don't know. I just like kind of came to, I did, it all happened so quickly mm-hmm. that I was like, oh shit, my airbags are deployed, you know? Oh. Um, so I was like, oh no, that's, this is not good. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, that I was pretty close to death that time. Jesus. Just a few feet over to the right, a little bit more. It's, I, I probably would have been gone. It's so funny how like the shock of it. It's it's unbelievable because yeah. it happened so fast. You're just like, how did that happen? I never would have anticipated. You know, it's like you don't believe it. You know, and that's a that's a dangerous feeling. That's what makes me worry so much about having kids myself. Is like that's how the world is, man. It's like you think you. It's a, it's the skeptics' disease we talked about on God's debris. Yeah. It's like you think you know how things are going to go because you've you've lived you know. A whole bunch of days, and all the days kind of go a certain way, and sometimes unexpected things happen. But the older you get, the less often that happens, and then you kind of get convinced that you kind of know how shit's going to go. And then, whenever you're least expecting it, something can just happen always that you never could have anticipated. Yep. That's how I cut my leg open. Yep. You know, that's why 
what you just described is one reason why I have been known to watch videos of people dying on the internet. Like I don't, I, I can't watch people like violently killing people and yeah. like cut that, that shit. I can't watch. Uh, but like a video of some guy walking down the road and a giant, um, like cement tube that they use for a sewer rolls off of a truck and crushes oh, Jesus. them, you know, like stuff like that. I watch that because it's like, you got to keep your head on a swivel, man. Yeah. Um, I, that actually makes me think of another example, uh, like that. Um, well, there's like a two-week period where I worked a union job uh, tunneling. We tunnel under things, you that's know? That's scary. Yeah, well, I, I'd never done anything like that before, but it was a family member that needed help, and I, I basically took vacation from work. I was getting paid from work to take vacation, but I was working this union job, making like 28 bucks an hour back then. It was like crazy wages. And um, part of the job is... Um, putting these tunnels like you know you're digging the tunnel mostly you're, you're digging with this giant auger but then you're putting these casings in there you know that's what that's what's going to hold the tunnel together and there was times where you had to pick up these big heavy casings and um on a crane and then i'm learning all the hand gestures for you know going up and down and all this stuff to help them guide these things in place and um i didn't i never done it before yeah. what do i know so uh the guy on the crane is pulling it over towards me, asking me to guide it into a certain area. And I get up in between where, where the casing's coming at me and where the casings are stacked. Because I'm going to put my hand on the thing and guide it in so it doesn't twist, right? And I did that. And he, and he called me over. He was like, don't ever do that again. Yeah. I'm like, why? He's like, you were in between two thousand pound concrete things you would have been crushed like a bug you could have been crushed like a bug yeah, didn't even occur to me that i was in danger yeah and that's crazy. that's how that's how life is man yeah all and and i think more frequently than you would uh, imagine you know what i yeah. mean oh yeah um i think there people are lucky a lot of the time you know absolutely got a question for you kyle what's up we're coming up on two hours and i'm out of topics except um the episode of Joe Rogan that I've been listening to, the most recent one with Epstein, the Epstein guy on it, uh, he brought up the Eisenhower farewell speech. Oh, yeah. The, you know, beware the military industrial complex. Yep. And I've heard that clips, you know, I've heard the clips, but uh, he said there was other stuff in that video or in that speech that people don't remember as much. And uh, it's only like 16 minutes long, so I never, never actually listened to it. I wondered if you wanted to listen to it. Sure, absolutely. And then we can stop it and comment on it, but let's see. This is a, a a famous presidential speech for like conspiracy people, you know. Oh yeah. This one in the uh, the secret society speech that JFK gave, you know that one. Um, it sort of rings a bell, but what's funny is that didn't JFK come right after Eisenhower? I don't know. What, um, I'm not. I don't remember. What, what did JFK say? You remember? Just that uh, that there are secret societies in the United States who have a lot of influence over politics and things like that. Well, that's definitely part of the conspiracy narrative today. Yeah. Jesus. All right, let's see if this works. Oh, was it working a minute ago? What happened? Here it is. Dwight D. Eisenhower, a.k.a. Ike. 
Let's hear From it. the White House in the office of the President of the United States, we present an address by Dwight D. Eisenhower. This is the farewell address for President Eisenhower, whose eight years as chief executive come to an end at the to stop this just so we can talk, Mr. just Eisenhower let me know. has chosen this time for his final speech. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Good evening, my fellow Americans. First, I should like to express my gratitude to the radio and television networks for the opportunities they have given me over the years to bring reports and messages to our nation. My special thanks go to them for the opportunity of addressing you this evening. Three days from now, after half a century in the service of our country, I shall lay down the responsibilities of office as, in traditional and solemn ceremony, the authority of the presidency is vested in my successor. This evening, I come to you with a message of leave-taking and farewell, and to share a few final thoughts with you, my countrymen. Like every other, like every other citizen, I wish the new president and all who will labor with him Godspeed. I pray that the coming years will be blessed with peace and prosperity for all. Our people expect their president and the Congress to find essential agreement on issues of great moment, the wise resolution of which will better shape the future of the nation. My own relations with the Congress, which began on a remote and tenuous basis, when long ago a member of the Senate appointed me to West Point, have since ranged to the intimate during the war and immediate post-war period and finally to the mutually interdependent during these past eight years. In this final relationship, the Congress and the administration have, on most vital issues, cooperated well. To serve the nation, the nation good rather than mere partisanship and so have assured that the business of the nation should go forward. So my official relationship with the Congress ends in a feeling, on my part, of gratitude that we have been able to do so much together. Hey, pause. We not uh, what you got, Kyle? I just think it's, um, there's something different about the way that he talks, you know? I mean, it's because it's a long time ago, too. But 1961 I, for those people that are interested. But it's also that um, I think he himself and the people who made up the country took the office of president, I think, more seriously than we do Absolutely. now. Um, so he's just very, uh, I don't know. Pres presidential, maybe. Yeah, that's yeah, a good it's word, like a re guess. It's more respectful. It's less pandering. I Well... Yeah, I guess it is less pandering. I still don't particularly care for it, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, this whole this has been two minutes and almost 40 seconds. And to me, it's like introductory nonsense. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have a lot of value. But what is interesting is that he said, you know, that his relationship with the Congress during his presidency was mixed. But that when he but leaving office, he, you know, he he, he is grateful for the Congress and what they were able to accomplish. I don't know what he means by that, but I'm guessing that has to do with the war and what well, he said, the war in the post-war period. And guys, if you remember, Eisenhower was a five-star general in the Second World War, so a military guy. Yep. All right. Yep. Anything else? Nope. Uh, let's keep going. Let's get to see, see how long it takes to get to the good stuff here. Stand 10 years past the midpoint of a century 
that has witnessed four major wars among great nations. Three of these involved our own country. Despite these holocausts, America is today the strongest, the most influential, and most productive nation in the world. Understandably proud of this preeminence, we yet realize that America's leadership and prestige depend not merely upon our unmatched material progress, riches, and military strength, but on how we use our power in the interest of world peace and human betterment. Throughout America's adventure in free government, our basic purposes have been to keep the peace, to foster progress in human achievement, and to enhance liberty, dignity, and integrity among peoples and among nations. To strive for less would be unworthy of a free and religious people. Any failure traceable to arrogance or our lack of comprehension or readiness to sacrifice would inflict upon us grievous hurt, both at home and abroad. Progress toward these noble goals is persistently threatened by the conflict now engulfing the world. It commands our whole attention, absorbs our very beings. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose, and insidious in method. Unhappily, the danger it poses promises to be of indefinite duration. To me, Okay, that's pretty interesting. So he's talking about the Cold War. He's talking about the threat of communism right now. Mm-hmm. And he said the threat is indefinite. And that this was in 1961. And today it's 2021. And there are people like Bernie Sanders and AOC and a bunch of idiots in this country that would, that would hail a communist takeover of our government. For sure. Unbelievable. That's crazy. <laughs> Anything else? Um... So, he said. He said it was atheistic in, but he said something else there. I can't remember what it was yeah. though. But I remembered yeah, atheistic in character. He said, uh, "Shoot, man, I can't." No, remember. it's all right. It will just, we'll just. It wasn't anything serious, anyways. Just his language, the words he's choosing is interesting. It is interesting. Here we go, Dwight. Successfully, there is call for not so much the emotional and transitory sacrifices of crisis, but rather those which enable us to carry forward steadily, surely, and without complaint, the burdens of a prolonged and complex struggle with liberty, the stake. Only thus shall we remain, despite every provocation, on our charted course toward permanent peace and human betterment. Crises there will continue to be. In meeting the... He said preserving liberty is how we're going to stay on course. And obviously the, the co- communism being the, the opposite side of that coin. So f- forfeiting liberty, individual liberty, is what's going to be our da- downfall. And I'm just pointing that out because look around. Yeah. Whether foreign or domestic, great or small, there is a recurring temptation to feel that some spectacular and costly action could become the miraculous solution to all current difficulties. A huge increase in newer elements of our defenses, development of unrealistic programs to cure every ill in agriculture, a dramatic expansion in basic and applied research, 
These and many other possibilities, each possibly promising in itself, may be suggested as the only way to the road we wish to travel. But each proposal must be weighed in the light of a broader consideration, the need to maintain balance in and among national programs. Balance between the private and the public economy. Balance between the cost and hoped for advantages. Balance between the clearly necessary and the comfortably desirable. Mm, there it is. Balance between our essential requirements as a nation and the duties imposed by the nation upon the individual. <laughs> a balance between rights and responsibilities, right? We're only hearing about rights. We never hear about responsibilities. Is this Jordan Peterson? <laughs> and, ba and what do you say? What do you say? Balance between. Damn, the first part was good. It was good. Um, he said balance between the the private and the government economies. Uh, damn, I'm, I'm missing something, but that was good. It was good. Between actions of the moment and the national welfare oh, of the future. There it is. Yeah, he said balance between the necessities and the things that we would just like to have. Oh yeah, that's right. And that it, was good. And it makes me think of what what are, what are, what's the necessity for the government to provide? What's actually necessary? Because if you ask if you ask an AOC, she's going to say healthcare among yeah. among other things. You know, if you but if what's actually necessary? You know, we, there might be people that want government to be involved with, you know, free college or free health care or regulating all that stuff. Fucking roads. Or, or, or ma managing the elections, let's say. Yeah. Uh, but what's actually necessary? Protecting our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So what does that mean? You know? What does that mean? Well, it's a good question, man. Let's see what Dwight has to say. Hey, Dwight, I'll give the mic back to you. Hey, Randy. Good judgment seeks balance and progress. Lack of it eventually finds imbalance and frustration. The record of many decades stands as proof that our people and their government have, in the main, understood these truths and have responded to them well in the face of threat and stress. But threats, new in kind or degree, constantly arise. Of these I mention two only. A vital element in keeping the peace is our military establishment. Our arms must be mighty, ready for instant action, so that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk his own destruction. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known of any of my predecessors in peacetime, or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could, with time and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. We annually spend on military security alone more than the net income of all United States corporations. Now this conjunction of an wow. immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, 
political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. Ooh, buddy. So the, con so the context there is that oh, Dwight's saying, look, because of the Second World War and Korea and all the, and the threat of communis communism and all this stuff going on, we, we, can't, we can't just disband the military and think that when something comes up, we can just whip one up. At this point, we have to keep a robust and powerful military in place all the time that can be ready at a moment's notice to stop something terrible that could be that could be implemented in a moment's notice and that that requires that private businesses be involved with a military industrial complex that's pumping out new weapons and new defense all the time and spending tons and tons of money to do it and that we can't forget that even though that's necessary what it does is it puts money and political ties uh, in this cor corporate system that's that we we all recognize we can't we need and we can't get rid of we but we need to keep funding and we're going to take that from you and it's going to affect you and it's going to affect society and that's crazy and would have been crazy at the time but the craziest part is we do that now with way more oh, than the military absolutely I was I was just thinking that like this is spread this pollution of government which is at the end of the day why i think that this type of government can't exist it, it will never ever work because this will happen every single time um i mean i don't know just well, if you if you think about like the industries that lobby it's not just it's not just the companies that make jets and weapons no it's, it's everyone. everyone it's facebook it's Meta, oh absolutely you know um and it it's permeated, like, I think most aspects of human life. I mean, there's the prison industrial complex, Absolutely. you know? It's, like, all over everything. It's all over everything. And the thing is, it, what Dwight was pointing out is that to have that in place, to have the relationships between the, the corp corporations and the government that pr provides this necessary thing, it, it comes at a cost. And, it, and the cost is taxpayer dollars. And manipulation of, of politicians and corruption and all the stuff that goes along with it. So the point that I want to point out is the bigger that gets, like you say, the prison industrial complex, communications, the Internet, big tech, as, as that stuff grows and they're giving campaign contributions and they're, you know, uh, all that shit, all that shit, uh, you know, tying tying him to the government, that what that does is it takes money out of our pockets, right? Because it, that's that's where that money comes from taxpayer money so it's going to take money out of our pockets eventually we're going to run out of money what happens then you know the people can't bear the burden of all of of every industry in the world and their and their you know um devious relationships with politics you know yep. padding pockets and pushing legislation and taxing the shit out of us to do all of this stuff for them yep. at some point what dwight said makes sense it's you have to realize that shit is not necessary. Some of it may be, 
but you can only do so much. Yep. It makes you wonder what has to happen to get people to start deciding what is and isn't necessary, you know? That's a great question. And it's maybe people are already doing it. It's very difficult. Let's see how much how much more of this video do we have left to watch? Uh, let's see. I go ahead. I do just feel like Dwight is a you know it's I guess it's good that he's saying this stuff, but it's also like you were you just got done being the president, bro. Like I mean, how much could you have done theoretically, anyways, to 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 prevent this kind of stuff that you're talking about now? Um, how many? I mean, you were also a five star general, like. Uh, you know, you're not. You don't strike me as an anti-war guy, um, right? That's yeah, true. I just don't. But but he he is making the argument that it's it's necessary. Now yeah, there are, there are still people today that disagree that it's necessary, and there's lots of libertarian people like me that sort of agree. It's like we don't we don't, our military doesn't need to be as big as it is, and our military presence doesn't need to be as big as it is. And it's not just because it saves us money, although that's a huge part of it. It's also because it preserves the liberty of the people whose countries we're in for no reason. Yeah, you know, and I'm not talking necessarily about Afghanistan. I'm talking about Germany. Yeah, you know, I'm talking about Cuba for sure. Uh, all right, so there's one other. I know we got like eight more minutes of this, and I don't know if I have patience for it. But there's one other thing that the the guy on Rogan said, Dwight says, and I want to see if we can get to it in a minute or two because it has to do with monopolization of monopolies of technology. So okay. let me see if we can get there. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals so that security and liberty may prosper together. All right. So he's saying that the, uh, the best defense about it getting out of control is an educated people. Yeah, well. And then you look at the media now and you ask yourself, are they keeping us informed or are they manipulating us? And are they part of the are they part of the industrial complex system now? Because they goddamn are for sure. Yep. So that's scary. I think uh it's funny that he keeps having like he just keeps saying words weird. Like he said machinery. Like oh, it, yeah. it's not like he's it's not like that's how he normally says it. He just misspoke, you know? Yeah. It's just yeah. funny to me. It is funny. Yep. Machinery. Akin to and largely responsible for the sweeping changes in our industrial military posture has been the technological revolution during recent decades. In this revolution, research has become central. It also becomes more formalized, complex, and costly. A steadily increasing share is conducted for, by, or at the direction of the federal government. Today, the solitary inventor, tinkering in his shop, has been overshadowed by task forces of scientists in laboratories and testing fields. In the same fashion, the free university, historically the fountainhead of free ideas and scientific discovery, has experienced a revolution in the conduct of research, partly because of the huge costs involved, a government contract becomes virtually a substitute for intellectual curiosity. For every old blackboard, there are now hundreds of new electronic computers. 
the prospect of domination of the nation's scholars by federal employment, project allocations, and the power of money is ever present and is gravely. God damn. That's that's the part that he that he was getting at the guy on Rogan. He was like, yeah, everyone always stops when when he's warns of the military industrial complex. Keep listening. Yeah, and that's that's what he's saying. He's saying that not not only he's saying because of the sophistication and complication of scientific research that there that there will be the same type of relationship where the, the where the research cannot be conducted without federal money. And the federal government will end up having monopoly over the over the intellectuals. So you have you have this this sort of new technological wave that's being rolled out that can't work without the federal government being involved. And so they have their claws in it. Yeah. And they're going to have the, their claws on all this on all the smart people. And there's a huge risk in that. Yeah. And the risk is that the federal government gets to decide what technology survives and whose voices get to be heard and what the fuck are we seeing right now. Yeah. You know, I that makes me think of this thing I heard. Um, this guy Richard Grove was on Thaddeus Russell's podcast. You should listen to it. Um, but he was talking about how there are people in the world like the Klaus Schwab types, you know that guy, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, who would love – to to find a reason to put brain chips in people, mm. you know, just to collect all that information to, um, you know, this like techno, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Klaus, Technocratic. Klaus needs to be introduced to George Soros. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, there's a lot of pushback for people like Klaus Schwab. You know, people don't, a lot of people don't like that guy. He's creepy. But then you have somebody like Elon Musk who is basically creating the brain chips. You know, people yeah. are like, oh, he's cool. You know, he's I, a, you know, there's just. A, yeah, because Klaus Schwab seems like a totalitarian dictator from a, um, from like a, 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 a utopian, like, like novel uh, future, you know, like 1984 or something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Elon Musk seems like an Ayn Rand hero. Yeah, but he's. I think he might be closer to an Ayn Rand villain. You think? Um, Are you just you, you mean like intentionally or accidentally, or unintentionally a villain? I think intentionally. I don't think that I don't think uh, that Elon Musk is as. I think he's smarter than uh, he's smart enough to realize that he's being hypocritical in a lot of ways. That he's contradicting himself in a lot of ways. He can talk all he wants to about, you know. Um, the ideas that he talks about and, you know, he moved the, moved him over to Texas, you know, out of California. I just don't really buy it. I think that he's, uh, I, I think Elon Musk is developing Neuralink because he wants there to be superheroes. I don't, I don't think he wants to control people's minds and make yeah. money off it. I think he literally wants to bring a fantasy to reality, this sci-fi fantasy and, and, you know, he's like a he's like a child that has the money and resources and smarts to actually make it happen. That's what I think. I think that he's got to see the potential uh, for what it will be used for, that sort of thing. Yeah, he's smart enough to definitely see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I hadn't really thought of that. And he is, you know, in bed with the government, just like just like all of the people who are in his position. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, you never hear about that. I don't know. I just don't trust them, you know? Like, even he, I, don't get me wrong. I think that Elon Musk is cool on some level, but uh, I just don't trust him as far as I could throw him. You yeah, know? it's like if, if I had to, like, make a, a Mount Rushmore of, like, significant people today and I had to pick and choose who goes on that Mount Rushmore, I have a hard time thinking Elon Musk doesn't have a face on Mount Rushmore. Maybe. 
Rogan's up there, buddy. <laughs> Rogan's up there. <laughs> Rogan's up there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but you should listen to that Richard Grove podcast. That's one of those things. It's like he, he lays out all of this stuff about how basically we are controlled by special interests. Um, and just the way that he la- lays it out, it sounds very conspiratorial. But when you break down each individual thing that he's talking about, you're like, no, okay, no, that is definitely true, that thing that he said. And that thing that he said is definitely true as well. And mm-hmm. so is this thing, and so is this thing. Uh, when you break them down into their individual components, it's like, no, that's happening. You know, like, that's a pretty obvious thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, wait, just like, when it's all threaded together, it seems like it's too crazy to be true. You yeah, know? oh yeah, absolutely. Just uh, Speaking of too crazy to be true, uh, and maybe we can... Maybe we can wrap up on this one, so because I'm like 15 minutes away from being divorced. Um, is uh, this Epstein episode of uh, Rogan? This most recent one. He's talking to this guy, and he says, he says, what he's done is he's duplicated. Well, I'm like mashing all these different parts of the episode together in my head. But what he's talking about like the algorithms that are used, and how Google in particular controls, um, you know what you see on the internet and it's like not like it used to be it's not like it used to be a wild west a wide open library of information and now it's all curated and controlled and censored and all that and uh, he was saying that when people talk about the internet and having the ability to influence the elections he's like that is so legit you can't imagine he's like one of the things that happens close to election is you'll you'll have all these different websites and that will pop up that'll give you quizzes like political quizzes so you can Mm -hmm. see which party do you belong to said lots of those quizzes don't even record your answers they just tell you to go vote for hillary clinton wow uh, yeah yeah he said um it's it's way worse than you think and what he did was he uh did a uh, several experiments double blind experiments where um he he fig- figured out how uh this information is being curated and what the kind of information like like the next up videos and things like that that you get fed and what impact that has on somebody's decision of who they're going to vote for and so he did this random trial with all of these independents and they were 70 percent more likely to be told that they're a democrat or to vote for a democrat wow 70 percent meaning when they went when they were making their voting decisions 70 percent were doing that when beforehand they were confused about which party they belonged to they were independent or looking for guidance so 70% is way bigger than 50-50. There, there's, and that's how, kind of how personality breaks down, approximately. Yeah. So what's the explanation for that? You know? It's, it's ma- crazy. It's manipulation. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, the thought that there are people who don't know how they're, they're going to vote, and then they go on Facebook and they take a political <laughs> quiz, and it tells them to vote for Hillary Clinton, and they do that. I... I mean, I know that it happens, but God, I hope that it's not as frequently as it's like that makes it seem. I, I think it is, and I and I think it's. I think those people shouldn't be allowed to vote. So I'm one of the, I'm one of those people. I don't know how you would listen. I know that's a hornet's nest, and I don't know how you would like tell how, how you could measure if somebody's competent to to vote, uh, and and make it like bipartisan, like you know, not biased. But those people should not be allowed to vote. Yeah. You know, it's all there's this push, you know, that it's a it's a right, but it's also a responsibility, motherfucker. It's not a right. It's also a responsibility. It's a right. It is a responsibility. If you can't take it seriously enough to 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 have a 
you know, educated decision that you that you believe in, that's that's tested and you believe in. You're not just doing whatever someone told you to do, whether it be your parent or your, you know, friends or whatever. You should not be allowed to vote. I don't know. I think I kind of think that only like white landowning men should be able to vote. Here we go. I think that, that <laughs> might be the way to go. Here we go. <laughs> All right. And on that note, adios. See you guys. Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work. Thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode.